Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Thank you for joining us. Tonight is going to be a very special year. Tonight is Shear 109, and uh, we should be sorry to make many, many more Shearim. We have a lot of amazing Shearim coming up, so uh, let's get started already. Okay, tonight, uh, again, I want to thank everybody for coming every week, every Sunday, and uh, joining us. As we say, the platform is really growing and exploding. Thanks to all the people that are posting it on WhatsApp and, you know, emailing their friends about it. It's really, uh, we call it Sichas Chaverim. And uh, again, it's amazing that we have so many amazing speakers. And uh, to be very honest with you, Rabbi Greenberg was mamish last, we just, Wednesday, somebody told me about him. And uh, I texted him and I said, are you available? And he was mamish, Nasav and Nishma, he jumped in right away. And we appreciate that. It was a last minute. And I'll get into it, you'll see the upcoming show and I'll explain what happened. But uh, thank you for joining. We appreciate it. All the way from California. And um, let's get into it. Again, anybody who was here the first time, every Sunday night, 9.30 Eastern time. We uh, do these amazing shurim. We have therapists, rabbis, most amazing people that come on, and we really have a deep, meaningful conversation, and we all try to grow together. If anybody wants to join the WhatsApp to get the flyers every Sunday, WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066. Or you can go to menachemburnful.com. You can sign up to get the weekly flyers, where you get the flyer every week and the recaps, and all the amazing things that Menachem sends out. For all the people that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, Click on the like button and the subscribe button. So me and Menachem Kimetshem make Parnosa, make millions of dollars on this amazing channel and finally retire. So that's the goal over here. I want to thank all the advertising sponsors for promoting us on all the platforms, the Lakewood Scoop for promoting us here in Lakewood, Robbie Munif and Chazak for promoting us on Chazak.org, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, and a special thank you this week to COL Live, Mika Sofer for promoting Dove Greenberg, and a special thank you also to Chayla Kaufman and Shul Summer JCN. Jewish Content Network for always promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms. Everybody should know that the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. They have a WhatsApp number if you want to join, 917-426-1495. OK Clarity is an online platform for mental health, support of the Jewish community. On okclarity.com, you'll find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engaged in forums, and stay inspired. Menachem will send out an email with all the information. Again, I said every 9.30, uh, every Sunday night, we have amazing Shiram. I'm going to give you a little bit of the lineup and explain a little bit what happened. Netshem, next week, July 24th, we have an amazing shear. I'm sorry, next week is June, July 17th. Shabbos of Thomas. So there's no shear next week. The following week is Sunday, July 24th. We have an amazing shear of Simcha Scholar, the CEO of Sky Lifeline, and Sirli Fried, who's, uh, I guess, the therapist, the Lakewood li- liaison. And uh, together, we're really going to hack it out with them. And really, the topic is how to be there for others in time of need. Part one, part two is how to deal with personal tragedies in life. So... Really gonna try to get get into the core. It's gonna be a powerful topic, you know, starting the three weeks. So it's gonna be exciting. And the reason why we had this whole changing of that because Rabbi Breidowitz from Arsameh and Israel is supposed to come on. And everybody knows Rabbi Breidowitz is Manish brilliant, the most probably the most brilliant people out there. You search him on the web. I mean, he has talks of anything and everything. You could ask him anything, pretty much anything, and I've seen it. So we're gonna be talking about the most popular topic that I'm sure almost all of our speakers would love to talk about. It's Sadik Viraloi. Right, somebody who has it's a good person, but he has so many tsaras. He's going to get into the story of Eve. I'm really going to go through. Right, the, the topic is to understand the story of Eve. Why do bad things happen to good people, and why do righteous people suffer? So, um, 
I feel like he's the right person to, ta- to, ta- to, to handle that topic, and Nachshon should be amazing to share. Tonight, we have the schus and honor of having Rabbi Dov Greenberg, world-famous rabbi, Shliach from Stanford College out in California. Nachshon will be chazik tonight. It's a very powerful topic, and hopefully, Mechazik, many thousands and thousands of people that will listen to this, and we'll get back to you in a moment. We'll be we'll get back to you. Tonight's share 109 is Bigamatria. Rabbi Greenberg, you ready? What is a Gematria? Come on. Gematria Menucha. So the slide of tonight's share, Hashem, if we learn how to have positivity, we learn how to tune in, we should have this Zoycha to have real Menucha Zanefesh, Menucha Chayim. So that's, that's the goal of tonight's share. So that's why we waited all these years to get you on, because we had to make sure the Gematria would work out. Thank you for waiting. Um, we're going to start off first with an opening statement from Coach Menachem Berenfeld. And um, Menachem, we'll start with you first. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. I want to welcome everyone again. Baruch Hashem, we're up to share number 109 with a lot of Siyata Deshmaya. And I want to thank all of you for the feedback, positive, negative, whatever it is. And it's always good to see how the audience takes it and um, what we need to grow. So tonight we have this first to have Rabbi Dov Greenberg and the discussion is an interesting one. And uh, especially today's world, a lot of people want to discuss positivity. The question is what it means and how does it work? So there are some people who are always positive, always in a good mood, love life. And uh, it's you know sometimes good to be around them. Then there are those who are going through real challenges in life. And it's a challenge to be positive. And hopefully we'll discuss tonight how. But there are some people that even if they're not going through any real challenges, but they're just not in that positive mood. Now, again, I'm not the one to to tell anybody if they're going through a real challenge or not, because what happens is everybody in their challenge is real. And don't tell them that there could be bigger challenges. It's, that's what they focus on. So we all know the famous concepts of the cup half full and half empty. So the truth is everything in this world is either half, is both because there is nothing in this world that's perfect. We, we live in a world that's just not perfect and you can always find negativity in anything. If it's, if it's uh, you know, two feet, it could have been three feet. If it's um, whatever it is that you can find negativity to, to focus on. So the question is, how do I change the way I look at things to see the half full when there is half empty also? And what really goes into us is that half Empty, that's what we feel and that's what hurts. We can't deny the half full part, but we don't, we don't see it. So hopefully tonight in Mitzvah with some guidance, Rabbi Dov Greenberg will be able to um, give us some of the answers. But before we go into some positivity, I do want to mention, it always comes up that when somebody goes through a, a real challenge, there's the grief process. And that's the dad, the denial, anger, bargaining, and depression and acceptance. Now we would love to run to acceptance right away and be positive and be positive, but the truth is you can't really come to acceptance if you don't let the emotions happen. 
And um, sometimes you can be positive in the beginning and really it could be denial. It's just a coping mechanism to be able to cope in the situation. So yes, it, you do have to be positive. And it's important in the, that, in the grief process, you can't tell somebody to go to, into the A, into the D. Wherever you are, if you feel anger, that's what it is. If you feel depression, you have to let it go through. You can't push it and it, you know, so to get the real acceptance, to get the positivity, it's, it's only after letting yourself go through the process and, and come to that acceptance. And that's after depression. And most people don't like that feeling, the feeling of anger, of depression, something that hurts. And when there's something real, the challenge is real, then it's, it hurts. So you wanna tell yourself, I'll be positive, which is nice but sometimes it's not real. I just don't want to experience what's going on. I do want to take two minutes before we start. Tonight, the, the sponsor, we have Bina organization with us. And I do feel I need to express my personally to Bina organization, which I have benefited from them when it was needed. And if you don't know anything about the organization, you should thank Hashem, and there is already one piece that you can be positive about. Because we take for granted, any, everything we have in life, we just take for granted and believe that we expect Hashem to give it to us because everybody else has it. So I wake up in the morning, you know, I can walk, I can talk, I can breathe, I feel good. Well, why should it be different? But until it hits home, until something happens, and uh, that's when we say, Hashem, I'm telling you, please help me. When this is over, I'll be able to thank you. I'll feel it. I'll, I'll, I'll be grateful for it. So we take for granted what we do have. If we can only learn this lesson, that itself will help anybody in life. There's so much to thank, the, the half full, the cup half full. There is so much in there to be grateful. So a little bit of a course, I'll tell you that I can do something is we have this chus and uh, we're going to hear more tonight about the organization and later on we'll send out in the links the emails and Hashem, so that for those who can thank Hashem that the Baruch Hashem healthy and the things are working that they can contribute and give a little bit so I want to wish Rabbi Greenberg and Hashem to have tonight and we should come out everybody should be able to take what they need to grow to the next level with a lot of positivity and real positivity. Thank you. Beautiful opening. We're going to talk about Bina for a few minutes. We get into it, and then we're going to turn it back into the share. Uh, tonight again, tonight's sponsor of the share is Bina Organization. Again, if anybody knows about it, doesn't know about it, it's the only Jewish brain injury organization out there. They have expertise in rehabilitation from brain injuries, from babies to adults. They deal with all ages. As everybody can know, rehab for these type of things could take a few days, a few months, or for multiple, for a lot of people, it could take years and years. Um, they do case management referrals, and they, you know, they 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 deal with 400 new 450 new families per year, and they're really, you know, their budget I think is a million plus dollars, and they're trying to extend services. We have a Hunnam Schwartz, who's a pretty famous guy, Fivish, right? Who's uh, LMHC, is director of the Precious Intervention at Bina. So we brought him along to speak, but before he speaks, I'm going to play a video. Okay, Hold on, is that okay? Mask him? Mask him. Mask him. I want to play a little video about it, three minutes, about Bina, what they do, 
and then we'll turn it over to Hanan, and then we'll uh, tie it into the topic tonight. So let's do that. Give me one second. Brain is everything. The brain is the personality, the brain is emotions, the brain is physical. When you have damage to the brain, it impacts the entire body. I think the key is that it affects the dynamic of the entire family. My father had open heart surgery. During the surgery, some loss of oxygen happened and he had a anoxic brain injury. My wife had a stroke about a year and a half ago. In the beginning, she was in the ICU for three weeks. She got weakness on the right side. In the beginning, she lost her speech totally. When a family member experiences a brain injury, total chaos breaks out. Nobody knows what to do. It's totally uncharted territory. All of a sudden, just like everything crashes and you're lost and the whole family is just going crazy. You don't have answers. You don't even know what to ask. You're not even sure what's going on. It's a lot of going on. Doctors and to make such a decisions that's so overwhelming. The experience of dealing with someone who has a brain injury is very different than someone who has any other type of illness. It's a sickness that is going to the very core of who the person is. A lot of people are confused about what to do, and that's where Elkanen steps in and can refer them to me for some testing. Bina comes and they just put down everything in front of you, all the options. They calm you down and they make sure everything's running smoothly. Elkanen will call with an initial referral. We'll see what happened at the evaluation, what are the necessary steps to follow up, and exactly what the course of treatment is most appropriate for this patient. In the beginning, I'm usually involved with the family. The patient's usually in the hospital. My wife got the stroke a week after we had the 10 kids. First time I met Elhanan was about two weeks after the stroke. A lot of education to the family, meet with siblings, speak to parents about speaking to the kids. He came down to my yeshiva, to my office, and sat with me, got the old picture, how old the kids and what I'm thinking about each one. And he gave me like all instructions when to bring which kids and for how long. The first time I met him and spoke to him, I wasn't so hopeful, you know, you're nervous. You walk in, it's very friendly, and he says, ask me anything, and he answers everything clear, so he calms you down. It makes so much sense what he said. He gave me nice ideas, which I didn't think by myself, and it works. Hanan does all of this in an entirely unassuming way, with his very easygoing personality, while at the same time really capturing the essence of what every patient needs and being able to deliver to them in his signature style. Every good word in the book can describe Hanan. more personal than, than just being someone to talk to as a professional. He understood everything like in a second. He got the whole picture. He, after an hour, probably knows my kids better than a lot of other people in my community. Very knowledgeable guy, very bright, and a mensch. There's one major problem, that is the injury that this person has. I can't fix that. But I can hopefully try and make a very difficult situation a little less difficult. I feel like a big part of the healthy family I have today is because of his knowledge. I want to personally thank Elchanan for everything he does for me and for my family. He's always getting me through everything, any question I had. He's always worrying about every little thing in my life. I'm very happy to be part of this wonderful organization. It's a wonderful place to work. It's wonderful people, extremely dedicated. It's really a tremendous covet that 
I get to work with Rebukhan on a regular basis. He should only have the kayak to be able to continue to do that in service in the community in the unique way that he does. Mr. El Khanan. Okay, um, I, I, I gotta say I didn't know it was that video. I didn't um, either, but that's the one we that's the one that ended up being. So okay, um, tell us about being on obviously the exclusive director. So you saw a little bit about it there, but actually what you saw was a was a little piece. Um, but I'll try and explain it just as as basic. Um, like Coach Menachem said, if you don't know, if you never heard of us, um, Baruch Hashem. Um, hopefully, because anybody who goes through something like this, a, a brain injury, at some point they will hear of the Bina organization because as an organization, we are the only one that is the ones that are that are helping people in this uh, with this type of injury. Um, and if you've never heard of the organization, which means you've never been through something like that, you might even wonder why, a, why an injury like this kind of has its own specific organization that's geared to it. Um, and hopefully you, you saw a little bit about that from the video, but basically what we do is we help people who've had traumatic brain injuries. Those are the brain injuries that happen when a person hurts their head um, as a result of a fall or a car accident um, or something like that, as well as um, strokes, um, both uh, strokes in elderly people, strokes in younger people, um, anoxic injuries, which is something that people don't necessarily realize affects the brain when you hear that someone had a, uh, a cardiac arrest, their heart stopped beating and the, they didn't have oxygen to their brain that caused an injury, brain tumors, brain cancer. So anything that affects the person neurologically, we are there as an organization to help um, really kind of hold the person's hand and the family's hand through the rehab process. It's a very long process generally. And when we're talking about um, you know, serious brain injuries, there's a hospital stay, there's an ICU stay, there's then an acute inpatient rehab stay, then maybe there's a subacute inpatient rehab stay, then there's outpatient rehab, then there's people, therapists coming to the home, there's other programs. Mo many people and many people that we're involved with, besides for the 450 new families that we get a year, many people who are involved with Abina, um, are require are, are looking to us for assistance even years sometimes after the brain injury. Not certainly not at, at the level of involvement that we have initially, but um, there is a lot of involvement that's still required down the road. So with the support groups, with the counseling, we have uh, staff members that um, have well-researched and visit and, con and connections with all the acute and subacute rehabs in the United States, in England, in Israel, uh, in Europe. Um, so we're a, a pretty much, though, I would say the main focus of our organization is in the tri-state area, but still we are very, uh, we have many families um, from outside the tri-state area and from, and from all over the world. So it's an important organization because it is very disorienting for a family. This is something that impacts the person's um, personality, um, their cognition, who they really are. Um, and um, that causes an effect through the entire family. So like I said in the video, we can't fix that, but we can give people 
the best resources. Everybody wants to have the best chance, the best rehab, the best support for the family. The impact that that causes on the family is very, very significant. So we're there to hold people's hands, to orient them to this new world of brain injury and to try um, and get them the best outcome that they could possibly have with the most minimal impact on the person and the rest of their family. Okay. For clarifying, for coming tonight, we appreciate that. Again, Menachem will email all the information about the, the organization, about the campaign. And um, yeah, we're going to put on the we're gonna text out to everybody as well. Anybody, whoever could help, please help. It's a very, very big voice, like Menachem said. Better not to know what it is, but uh, if you do, it's, it's needed. And uh, again, thank you again for all you do, Haran. You definitely got the Community Service Award from Coach Menachem. <laughs> that was a couple of years ago. Okay, let's jump into tonight's topic. Okay, tonight, Mr. Shem, we're also going to learn tonight. It's a schus for a good friend of mine's uh, father. He lived many years ago. Hanoch ben Moshe Halevi, known as, by his English name, Henry, a man straight with an arrow with a golden reputation, both in his community and the business world, a Jew devoted to being a true Ebed Hashem. It's to thousands of people that hear it. It's much for them. Again, tonight we have the topic is two words that will change your life. Like I told Robert Greenberg, I think most people think that's money and cash. How to access the positive, the power of positivity through the lens of Torah, which I want you to explain what that is. Uh, I'm going to read a little synopsis of what we're talking about. I think it's a good thing to, to hear. I read it. I liked it. And then I'll read your bio, Robert Greenberg, and let's get into it, okay? The human mind isn't designed to make you happy. It's designed to help you survive. The mind is always on the lookout for what's wrong, for what wound you so that you could either fight or take flight from it. It tends to automatically download. I'm fearful. I'm worried. So if you leave your brain software to run by itself automatically, you got little chance of enjoying it. It'll be filled with stress and anxiety. The good news is there's another path, one that involves directing your thoughts so that your mind goes, does your bidding, no, not the other way around. The path leads not just to survival, but to thriving. So that's really the overview of, you know, positivity and how the brain works. I'm sure Reverend Greenberg will really clarify it. I'm going to read your bio. I a little bit shortened it. I'm sorry. You know, we were limited amount of time. We're almost, it's almost two o'clock in the morning here. So Reverend Dove Greenberg is a unique thought out leader in the Jewish world at home in religious secular spheres. His voice is one informed by deep and learning, moral clarity, and intellectual depth. His teaching, writing, and Facebook videos have inspired millions of individuals of all faiths, of none, of none throughout the world. They are time, timely and timeless, rooted in wisdom, Jewish texts, and alive, what it means to be alive at this moment. Rabbi Grimek is a sought-after speaker, communicator of the Jewish thought and spirituality, who was lectured throughout the United States, Israel, Europe, and Canada. Wherever he goes, he brings a range of references, awareness, and settings, and a focus of things that matter. Rabbi Dov is also the founder and exclusive director of the cutting-edge Chabad House at Stanford University. Chabad at Stanford L'Chaim Club. L'Chaim Club has grown to be one of the biggest and most thriving student society. Uh, um, societies at Stanford, attracting high-profile speakers from the worlds of politics, arts, culture, and Israel advocacy. He brings together students from all walks of life to elevate and energize the Jewish thought, the Jewish thought journeys. Rudolf Greenberg, finally get to speak. The floor is yours. Okay, good evening. So tonight, I want to speak about two words that if we take them seriously, it has the power to change our life. And I'll begin with a, a short story. I had a, a colleague, a friend of mine, a rabbi, who met with a student. And the student who came to his shul, his Jewish center, 
was a kid who externally looked very blessed. He had everything. He came from a beautiful and loving family. There was Yiddishkeit there. He was talented, gifted, athletic. So when the, the rabbi looked at this student, he viewed him as somebody who has everything. Everything's perfect. They have a meeting. And it turns out to be the opposite. The students start starts telling the rabbi, because I got to tell you, he says, I'm not blessed and I'm not a good Jew. I'm not really talented. He goes on and on. After a while, the rabbi is listening to him and he says, there's one common denominator between all of your issues. It's not, you don't have many problems. You actually have one problem. The problem is your I am's. This student was saying, I'm not gifted, I'm not talented, I'm not blessed, I'm not a good Jew. The rabbi told him was, the word that follows your I am really determines the quality of your life. If I wake up in the morning and after the I am, I put a bunch of negative things, then it's very likely that that's the way I'm going to feel and that's what's going to happen. But if I look at myself, the way I think about myself, the words I tell myself, if I say I am, and following I am, I put words that have an uplifting, beautiful, inspiring future, then that changes who we are and how we feel. And I know it could sound abstract, but I want to illustrate with a, a secular story and a Jewish text. And you see these two things very vivid, that it's not a, you know, some type of feel good, you know, make-believe reality, but this is actually very real. These ideas are very real and really do change our life in dramatic ways. So here's the first episode. The episode is that for close to 2,000 years, we have records of athletic achievement. And in all the records that we have, it was never possible for a human being to break a four-minute mile. We have going back from the early races in Rome and in Greece, and doctors and coaches would have disagreements why that is. Some said it was human stru bone structure, others it was lung capacity, but whatever the case was, people said a human being cannot break a four-minute mile. So, so it went for close to 2,000 years. In 1954, there was a, a student, his name was Roger Bannister, and if he would win a certain race, and break that, uh, you know, obviously he would win everybody else. He would get a scholarship that would pay for his medical school. And so Bannister, every morning he woke up and he said, I'm capable of outrunning everyone here, of breaking every barrier. That's what he told himself, I'm capable of doing it. And in 1954, Bannister, for the first time in human history, broke the barrier. Came in one second early, so it was three minutes, 59 seconds. You Google his name, it was on the front pages of all the newspapers that the first time in human history, the four-minute mile was broken. But here is what's incredible. A few months later, there was another big race. 39 runners all broke that barrier. One year later, 300 runners all broke the record. Some of them broke Bannister's record. So what changed? In 12 months, 1954, what changed? Human lung capacity didn't change. Bone structure didn't change. Only one thing changed. 
human perception changed. And until Bannister, athletes and people woke up and they said, I am not capable. We can't do it. Because that's the way they thought, that was their cognition, that was their brain process. That's how it remains. But the moment athletes certainly needed to work hard, but the moment athletes woke up in the morning and said, I am capable of breaking a barrier. I'm capable of doing things that no one thought was possible. So the mind then unleashed powers from the mind, the heart, obviously in the body, and they were able to break through barriers. So here you see the power of, we would say, what a person, Chachma or Bina is, the power of a person's brain and mindset, Hashkafa, a person's Hashkafa. How do I view myself? Am I capable of breaking a certain barrier? My answer to that question really determines a lot of the capacity and the kayach I'm going to have. You see, they did an experiment at Dartmouth years ago. It was a fun social experiment, but it's reported in many books. You see how this was done in terms of a scientific experiment. They brought many people in to a studio with a makeup artists, and they painted an ugly scar on dozens of people's face. They said, we want to see how this scar affects your interactions for the next few hours out in social settings. Fine. Right before each individual went out, it was one at a time. The makeup artist said, I need to do a touch-up. But really, the makeup artist erased the scar so the person looked regular. But the person, the volunteer, was unaware of the fact that the scar was gone. In any event, at the end of the day, they all came back from their different environments and places, and almost everyone had tales of how horrible their conversations went. People didn't want to look at them. They were embarrassed. They couldn't speak properly. It was awkward, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the study concluded how power, the whole reality was all in their head. They looked regular. They didn't have a scar. It was all in their mind. So what the, the way they viewed themselves really affected how other people viewed them, their conversations, their interactions. So here, you, you, again, you see the power of it. You actually see this in Chumash in a story that everybody is familiar with, but it's easy to miss. So we'll just slow down for a moment. And after this piece of Chumash, we'll open up the discussion, the questions, and hopeful, hopefully we'll be able to flush it out in many different ways. But when Hashem first came to Meshe Rabbeinu and said, I need you to be my ambassador, my shliach, to take the Eden out of Mitzrayim, to free the Jewish people. So what did Moshe say? Moshe said, very nice. But me anoichi. I am nobody. Me anoichi. I am nobody. Ani arals fosoyim. I am a stutterer. I am incapable of leading B'nai Yisrael. Send somebody else. So when you slow down and you look at the words Moshe is using, he is putting a negative term a negative description of himself after how he defined himself. I am nobody. What Hashem told him is not that, oh, you, you have no problems. Hashem didn't say it's in your head that you stutter. Moshe was Aras Vosai. But Hashem's response to Moshe was, you think I'm sending you to Pari alone? You're my ambassador. I'm going to go with you. We're going to go together. I'm coming together with you to Pari. In other words, I'm going to confront the challenges that we face in life, the problems and the difficulty, the cruelty in the world. I'm not sending you, Moshe, 
out there to face the whole world alone. I'm going to be with you. And because I'm going to be with you, you should recognize that you're my ambassador. So Moshe changed his mindset. Instead of Moshe saying, he said, he understood, I am God's ambassador. The moment Moshe confronted Pari and all of Mitzrayim, all the difficulty, but when he confronted it as Eved Hashem, that I am Eved Hashem, I am an ambassador of Hashem, then he was able, at 80 years old, he was able to change himself, he was able to redeem the Yidin and change world history, all of, you, all of Jewish history. So over here you see a three examples of the power of what are we thinking when we wake up in the morning? How do we view ourselves? What do we honestly tell ourselves about all the issues that we face? And when we have, after the I am, we put something positive and beautiful, and it changes the strengths we have, the capacities we have, and allows us to do the mission that Hashem, like Meshur Rabbeinu, sent each of us despite our scars, because everybody has scars, everybody's wounded, we're not perfect, that's not the issue. The issue is, can I place beautiful things after the I am that will allow me to do that which Hashem put me on the earth for? So with that, I think we can open up to questions and we'll move forward. Beautiful, Robert Greenberg. Beautiful opening. Okay, we're going to take a poll, take a few minute break, and uh, we're going to jump into the questions. People email, people text. Again, if anybody's here the first time, people that ask live questions, please text Usher Parnas on the chat over here. Live questions go first. Anybody else, if someone wants to ask a question, text it. And we're really going to get to the clarity and try to really dig into Robert Greenberg and really understand what he's saying. And uh, right, it's meant to really, really get clarity. So let's do that. We're going to take a poll. Everybody, please answer. It's anonymous. Just want to get a feeling. Two questions over here. When you're going through a challenge, what do you do to stay positive? Three choices. From those three, which one would you pick? Listen to Shia podcast. Number two, listen to music or some, some form of entertainment. Or option three, drink other forms of substances. To be honest, just want to know what you do when you're feeling like you're going through a challenge and you want to stay positive. Okay, second question. Do you believe being positive actually makes a change in your life or the outcome? Yes, no, yes in theory, but not practically. Like in theory, I hear it, but Lamaise is not going to change anything. Or the fourth option, it's a secular concept, this whole concept of positivity. It just it comes straight from uh, Freud, uh, Sigmund Freud or something like that, but it's not Lamaise. So choose those two from those two questions, the answers. Robert Greenberg, I see you see them, you see them answering. It's murder, no? But we're gonna have a bunch of positive people here, and it's uh, beautiful. When they come to Coach Menachem, you have to be a growth-oriented positive person. Otherwise, go go listen to a different chair. But uh, we're gonna share the answers with everybody, and then we're gonna go, get into it. Okay, we're gonna start our first Robert Greenberg with a live question. Somebody's already waiting live, so we'll start with that, and then we'll get some of the questions that got sent in. Okay, let's share with everybody. First question: When you're going through a challenge, what do you do to stay positive? Fifty-four percent of people, number one answer, said they listen to a share and a podcast. The number two answer is they listen to music or other forms of entertainment to give them that chizik. Only 3% of people drink or use other forms of substances. No, Rabbi Greenberg, any comment on this? Yeah, uh, I think more people have to drink. <laughs> it's a low number. No, they're, they're nervous that I can monitor who it is, but the truth is it's more, that's the number one. Because if you're not using it, maybe that will help. You know? Okay, the second question, do you believe being positive actually makes a change in your life and the outcome? So the whopping answer by far, by far, 77% yes. So we're all on the same page over here. Let's just clarify that being positive makes a difference in, in, in the situation and the change and the outcome. So we know that we need to do it. The question is how to do it. 
So that we're not arguing on the concept that being positive will make a difference. On that, that I think we're all masking. Three percent of people say no. It's probably the same three percent of people that drink. And <laughs> yes, in theory, but not practical. And one percent say it's a secular concept. So I think I think across the board, most people believe that it does. And uh, you could actually can get out of that. Um, let's unmute you, the first person. We'll jump into the first live question, and then let's really clarify this whole uh, positive thing. Sure. Unmute. Hi. How are you? Hi, Rabbi Greenberg. Thank you for taking my question. Um, you know, when going through difficult situations, me personally, um, I tend to, you know, I used to be this type of person. I'll be positive. I was excited. But after different times of, you know, not getting the expected, I started feeling this attitude of just let's feel negative. Let's be prepared for the worst. So uh, when the worst thing happens, uh, you know, it won't be so painful. And if something good happens, it'll be exciting. It'll be a surprise. We'll be jumping off the roof. You know, we'll be so happy. Um, you know, that's, that's how I've been shifted. And, you know, my, my feelings inside have shifted. I want to know, I want to go back to the olden days, but in a more mature and proper way, you know, in a way that's real. What logic can I give to that feeling? to say that it's better to be positive than to be negative, to you know, make a cushion and soften the blow when the negative thing happens? It's a very powerful question, a very real question. I think, honestly, most of us probably share part of that question, at least some of the time. So let me, let me answer in two ways. First with, first, with a story, but the story actually answers your question in part, at least, in, in a deep way, because it's, a, it's a, an answer that affects us on a daily basis. And that is, the story goes like this. It's a true story. It has the mile of being a true story. It was a couple. They got married, and they had a, a discussion where they should go for their honeymoon. Right? They go to a fancy resort or more a rustic, a cabin. A couple on him it wasn't a Jewish couple, but they went to they went to this rustic cabin. Uh, the first night, I don't know, eleven o'clock, ten at night, a woodpecker started to on the cabin started to make noise. Now I don't know. People live in New York; they don't know woodpeckers make a lot of noise. And this woodpecker brought a whole minion. He brought his chaverim and his classmates. So you had twenty woodpeckers eating up a tremendous noise. They, they couldn't sleep. It happened the first two nights, so it was no sleep, and it looked, you know, you, you think about it, you think, okay, this was not a good idea, it was a failed honeymoon. Now, what, what this couple did is on the way back from the honeymoon, I think it was on night three, on the way back, they decided like this. They said, let's say that this experience that we had was a good thing. Let's decide right now in the car that it was a, it was a success. So the only thing we need to do now is decide how. How is it going to become a and they came up with an idea of making a, a cartoon about a woodpecker. And this couple, their name was Walter and Grace Lance. And in the car, they came up with the first episode of Woody Woodpecker, which is one of the classic, famous cartoons in America. One of them did the illustration, one did the voice. I saw a clip on their 50th wedding anniversary. They were interviewed. They said those two nights, the best nights of our, of our life, because it, it changed everything. Changed the, it gave us tremendous capacity to live our dreams, et cetera, et cetera. 
But to get to your question, here, here's something very interesting to ask. Here's the Jewish question on the non-Jewish story. What's the truth? What's true? Sleeping in that cabin, was it a good event or was it a bad event? What's the real objective reality? Is this event true or not? Was it good or was it bad? And know what the answer is? The MSM, the real answer is it depends who's in the cabin. Depends who's in the cabin. If you're in the cabin, husband and wife in a cabin, and they break into a fight and they say it was a bad thing, then it truly does become bad. But if you're there and you say, how do we somehow create something good from it, then it does become good. And that is true to most things in life. Not all things, to be sure, not all things. But in most of our daily experience, and here's what's, it's a, a deep concept. It's not the event itself that's good or bad. It's how a human being views it. How do I interpret the event? And then my interpretation creates a story. My story creates feelings. And then it, my feelings then will determine the quality of my life. So very often as we're going through things, we get the events themselves don't write the story. It's the mind that creates the story. So that's something very, very powerful um, that affects many things in our life. If you want, you, you can see it, to answer your question very clearly within Chazal, within Jewish tradition, you have the clear, almost exactly your question with Avram. And Hashem comes to Avram and says, I'm going to destroy Sudeim and Amir. Avram doesn't say, if this is what you want, then disaster is coming, it should be destroyed, done. He argues with Hashem. He's thinking and working for a different, more positive outcome. He's arguing with Hashem. At the end, when Sudeim is destroyed, Amir is destroyed, the Medrash says that Avram said, Barak Dayanemus. The question is, if, if, if Avram had that faith in Hashem, he had in Munah, why is he arguing with God? Save God the time. Say Barak Dayanemus. Right when Hashem says, I'm going to destroy Sudan, Avram should have said, Barak Dayanemus. Over here, you have that hashkafa, that struggle. When something happens. So Yid has to ask, I mean, every human being, but now we're talking the context of the Yid and Torah, Yid has to ask, what, what's the right thing here? What's the moral thing? What's the healthy thing? What does God want of me? So Hashem knew, Avram knew that his task was to fight for tzedakah or mishpat. So he asked the Hashem, shefit kalarit layasha mishpat, and he was fighting for good and wanted good. Only once, he, and he was hoping for it, no question about it. Only once he saw that Hashem wanted something else, then he could say, okay, God, if this is what you do, then gamzul teva. Now, barach dayanemis, and I need to work to figure out how to re- construct my, my, my thinking and my story and my response. So similarly, to be a Yid is to be optimistic, to be a Yid is to view things in the most positive way we can and to have faith that Hashem is going to make it good. If at the end Hashem decides to make it different than we expected or wanted, we acknowledge that, like Menachem mentioned before, there are different stages. There's, there's different stages in halacha of how we respond to negative things. Halacha doesn't say to say about something bad that it's good. But the initial approach needs to be always look for the most positive interpretation because that will help us through life in many, many ways. And that could turn out to be the case. If at the end, something negative happens, then we know, okay, that's what Hashem wanted. So that's Hashem HaPratis. Now, how do I make that part of my story and move forward? Yeah. Want to continue? Oh. 
I, 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 I can, uh... no, 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 I asked him. Okay, so basically, in, in other words, you shouldn't be controlled by your emotions. You should make a decision. How do I want to interpret this story? Yeah. And the, it's interesting because many people um, feel that it has to do with their nature. You know, they're always, they claim it's reality. Uh, I'm just going to read this question that came in. Um, some people are just upbeat and always excited and naturally positive. I am much more real and grounded. When things are not positive, how do I stay happy? Is it, is it possible? And he writes, I'm just not wired that way. So they feel the nature is negative. Okay, like, like, I'm, I'm not sure that person, I'm not sure the person is more real. I'm not sure it's more real to be negative than positive. Again, it's, it's a question of how we interpret many events, but there's a, I remember when I was a Bacher in, uh, in Yeshiva, there was like kind of a kumzitz, or in Chabad they call it a fabrengim. There was a, a late night event and uh, probably two in the morning and the older people were sharing Torah and singing. 2% were saying L'chaim based on the poll that we received earlier. And but mostly Tara, again, like the poll, and doing the more, a 90 year old Yid, Azokin, an older Yid comes in and there's a, a bench, you know, the bench had a, a back on it. It's two in the morning and he kind of sprints over the bench and he sits in between. He wants to listen, he's involved, his eyes are. So somebody looks at him and says, Mr. Alta Yid, he said some other words there. <laughs> Mr. Alta Yid, what are you doing up two in the morning, jumping over benches? You're 90 years old. What? How do you have the kayak? What are you doing here? So the, I, I always remember his response. It was so special. His response was, he says, I'm not a 90-year-old Jew. I am three young men of 30. So when we wake up in the morning, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Both, you know, If you wake up and say, this hurts, and this is bad, and this is going to be negative, so it's, you have a much stronger possibility of those things becoming true. But if you wake up in the morning and say, I'm three young people of 30. It's a whole different hashkafa. It's a different perspective. It works differently. By the way, you see this going back to, to the intro. You say you are wired. The truth is that a human being, the way Hashem designed the person, Hashem created a lot of the software of the brain, a lot of the hardware of the brain, not for happiness. The primary design of the brain is that we should survive and be able to live, but it wasn't designed to make us happy. Meaning to say, brain always has to be on the lookout for everything that's moving. Is it going to attack me? Do I need to move? Do I need to run? Do I need to duck? So everything that encounters in a way the brain asks, do I fight? Do I take flight? It's a natural response. Um, it doesn't look at something and say, oh, okay, time to be simcha. That's not the natural response. I can illustrate very simply in everybody's life how true this is. I think everybody here experienced they were in their apartment alone or house walking on the street and suddenly you heard like a, a thud, a loud noise, right? Everybody had, every one of you, myself included, we hear that we jump in fright. So we all had the experience when you hear a sudden noise and we jump in fright. Okay, fine. Probably most of us it happened more than once. Now, did it ever once happen in your life that you hear a sudden thud and you think, ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, somebody threw a, a bag of gold through the window. 
I won the lottery. It was a noise of gold. No one ever thought, you never thought that once. You never one time jumped in joy at a set. Why? Because your brain wasn't wired up. Maybe a blessing just came through the window. The brain is wired. Who's trying to harm me? What intruder is coming to attack? So we understand that's how the brain is wired and it's necessary for survival, for health, for living. Yiddishkeit understood this very deeply. And what Yiddishkeit says is that of course we have that, that's something that we need, but that's not the only channel we should run on. That shouldn't be our only software. A person's mind and a person's neshama has the capacity to download a whole different kind of perspective, a positive perspective, a perspective of simcha, of emuna, of vitachen. And what is that? And so where do you see Judaism do it very beautifully? The, the first words a Frum Yid says, every Frum Yid wakes up in the morning, the first words we say in bed is, I am grateful. The first thing a Yid downloads in their psyche, in their heart, is gratitude. I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to look around the room and think, what Soros is going to hit me today? I'm not going to think to the questioner, I'm not going to think there's a bunch of bad things coming today. It's not. I wake up in the morning and I think, you know, what negativity is going to attack? A yid wakes up in the morning, what, what does a yid think? I am grateful. I fill my heart with joy for another day, for life. And then we go through a beautiful list of brachas, thanking Hashem for every gift and blessing that we have, our bodies, our homes, our loved ones, our community, peira, mitzvah, all the beautiful things that we have. So what Yiddishkeit is saying is, the moment we wake up, don't say, I am fearful. I am a kvetch. I'm altakakir. You wake up and you say, I am gizund, and I am young. I'm three people of 30 or whatever, whatever the age is. And I'm grateful that I have the Abish there and I have a connection to Hashem and I have Teir and I have Mitzvah, etc., etc. To pause and write a story in the most beautiful way we can. Psychologically, it changes happiness. It changes our, 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 the way we think. It releases powers in our mind. And also, like I said before with the story of the couple, that most events in life, we determine the reality of them very interesting that there's only one power, there's one chush that we have full control over in life. Only one thing. Our mind, our thoughts. That's the only thing we have full control over. We don't, we don't have full control over anything else in our life. We have a lot of control or some control, but what I see, I see. I could look away, but I see. I hear there's noise. I could do different. My mind, what I think is the one thing I control, control fully, my thoughts. It's ironic, because that's sometimes the thing that we least control. So a person can have all their wealth that can be taken away from them. All the power that can be thrown in prison. I mean, for example, the famous Jewish uh, therapist, what well, he started a whole new school of kind of say positive psychology, Viktor Frankl. So in his book, he writes, he was, he was in Auschwitz, the most vicious place you could be on the planet. But he had, in his book, you see, he had a positive perspective. He viewed things in the best possible way he could. He tried to find meaning in suffering. He said, I'm here for a reason. How can I use it in, a, some, in some kind of a positive way? It takes tremendous courage. But he affected everybody around him. 
But here you have a man who's in the, in the deepest gullus possible, the greatest horror and tragedy imaginable. But he somehow managed to say, my mind, that the Germans, that they can't control. They could take away everything else. I'm in their prison. But my mind, I'm not in prison. My mind, I'm free. I'm free. I could think what I want. I'm going to think positive. I'm going to think, what is man's search for meaning? So the one chush that we have full control over is our mind. And that's actually the thing that determines much of our happiness every day. I think that's the way a Jew has to, uh, has to behave and think. And it leads to, to great happiness and great joy on a daily basis. So it's very important that way. I believe that there's, there's I'll share one more story and we'll go to a, another question. But it's a very, it's a, again, it's a, it's a, externally, it's a simple story, but it's a very deep, beautiful story. The Melech and Zusha, they were brothers, Ge'edim, Tzadikim, Hasidic masters. So part of what they did, or maybe in El during the year, they would travel to a town, to a shtetle where no one knew them. So they wouldn't have the COVID and the honor and the recognition. And they would pretend that they were simple Jews. And over there, they were, were able to teach Torah to people, inspire Yidin, help even physically, without any fanfare, without any special uh, attention. They came to one town, the poor people there thought, oh, two new shnaras came, two new poor people came, and it, we're, we're going to get less tzedakah because of them. So one of them had connections with the police officers. He said, these two people, they came, they're thieves, they're, they're, they're running away from another town. And the authorities threw Zusha and Elimelech into prison. They were in prison with other thugs and Cossacks, all 50 people in one big room, horrible environment, horrible people. Four in the morning, Zusha looks at Elimelech and Elimelech is crying. So Zusha tells Elimelech, where's your faith in Hashem? How, how, do you, how could you be fearful? So Elimelech says, I'm not crying because I'm afraid I have faith. Crying because in three hours is going to be time for shachas. We have we, we barely have food with us, but we have tefillin, and it's going to be the first day in my life, a weekday, since my bar mitzvah, that I'm not going to be able to put on tefillin and daven. Why? Because in the center of a room was a big bucket, and the bucket was the bathroom. Well, excuse me, it was it wasn't a California prison. It was a real prison. It was a real uh, a place of confinement, a, a mitzar. And you can't daven in a bathroom. There's no way that you can put tefillin on it. Such a, so that's why I'm crying. I can't connect to Hashem. Eli Melech tells him, and who, who says you can't put tefillin on in a place where there? He says, what do you mean? It says in Shulchan Aruch. He starts to quote him. So Zusha tells him, so in other words, the Ratzon Hashem, as disclosed, as expressed in Shulchan Aruch, is that he can't daven in a bathroom. He says, exactly. So Zusha tells him, just like every day the Torah and Shulchan Aruch tell us that you connect to Hashem through davening and putting on tefillin, tomorrow morning you're going to connect to Hashem by following Shulchan Aruch by not putting on tefillin. Connection. You shouldn't, you shouldn't try this at home, but if you're in that environment, so, so, so the Melech thinks for a moment, he says, ah, it's a derher. You're, you're onto something. I didn't think of it that way. You're actually right. So he start he, he he's nisbal from this new machshava. He get, he starts to dance. He gets in a likud. He starts to dance with joy with simcha. His brothers Zusha and Lechter start dancing. The chief Kazakh looks up. He says, "These Jews, these Jews, they know how to celebrate. They have the right mindset." 
they're in prison for a few hours, they already have, they're dancing, they're celebrating, they have reason for joy. So he starts to dance with them, he was impressed. Other prisoners also get up, they all start to dance because joy is contagious, joy is contagious. The warden's a miserable creature. Here's a whole riot, a whole celebration. Never heard such joy. He rushes in, he says, stop, stop, no one listens. So he grabs one of the thugs, he says, who, who triggered this riot? What's going on here? So he says, it's not us, it's the Jews. The Jews are responsible. He says, how can it be the Jews? They're weak, they're the weakest amongst you. How can it be the two Jews? He says, listen here, these guys are philosophers, they're big sages. I can tell you only part of their discussion. I couldn't follow it, I just heard some words. The bucket in the center of the room created new connections, new relationships with the infinite one. Somehow, I don't know how they worked it out, these Jews. And that created a, a joy, and that's the trick. So the word says, I'm going to teach these two Jews a lesson. And he rushes in, and he grabs the bucket, and he pulls it out of the chamber, and he leaves. So Zusha turns to Elimelech and says, Shachetz, no, we can start filling that, we can go. So that's the story. But the story has a beautiful depth. And I think it answers the question sometimes that we all have and what the questioner asked me for. In everybody's life, we find ourselves in difficult days, difficult weeks, it could be difficult years. Everybody has, it doesn't matter how perfect somebody's life is, all those Instagram feeds and the Facebooks and the devices, it's all, <laughs> it's not reality. Everybody has days of sadness, of, de of depression, of darkness. That's how it is. And then we can go through difficult things. So we end up in a prison, you could say, a spiritual prison. So what does a yid do when he's in a, 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 that kind of environment? You can say, because I don't have the brachish I need, the parnasa I need, the gesunt I need, the health, the sustenance, the things that a yid should have. I don't have them. I'm going through shalom bias issues, chinuch issues, real heavy issues. Because I don't see the bracha and hamshacha that I want. So my relationship with Hashem is, I don't have a relationship with Hashem. I'm in a dark place without a relationship. It could even be halacha says that you can't do certain things. There are certain tragedies that halacha says you actually can't have it in this place. You can have it. But it, to go deeper, it has to understand that whatever space I'm in, physically, psychologically, emotionally, Hashem is with us. I might not understand it. We might not have the explanation. But the question is, could I, could I, and it takes courage, could I somehow, at the right moment, create some kind of joy, simcha, can I create a narrative in my mind that says Hashem didn't abandon me, but I can grow somehow from this. Not that I want it. Not that I want this. I want to be free from this. But I understand that even in this moment, I have a relationship that without this, I won't have. And the depth is that with that simcha, with that bitachin, with that positive thought, often that is the impetus. That is the keili. That is the channel specifically because the positive and the faith, like it says in the Zayar and, and, and the Ikram and many others, it's the faith alone, it's the Simcha, it's that Petachan itself that causes the bucket, the negativity, what is toxic in our environment to be removed. So then we can celebrate with Chachis, with, uh, with clarity, with real connection in the mitzvah, the way you're disposed to. So, so there you have two or three very helpful tools for us, how powerful the mind is, that we always have control of it, and wherever we are, we have a, a relationship with Hashem. Try to sing and dance with it to the best of our ability. And hopefully, 
there's the psychological, emotional benefit, and then there's the, a benefit that comes from the emuna and the betachen, that that itself opens up new channels so we can go and experience things with true joy and happiness. Okay. Hi, Sarah. Let's go. Hi. You kind of answered a lot of the questions already, but I'm still kind of wondering, like, if just, it's just being realistic. Is that sort of a neg? Is that the opposite of being positive or, or you know i know there's like a selective positivity some things you, you could be optimistic about but others I, I don't know it's hard to approach or force an emotion does that i mean I, I, you talk about being positive it, it, i don't know if it's a question daniel constantly dancing around the room i mean what if you just you know serious, serious doesn't necessarily mean sad or does it? I mean, in, in your view, you're just looking at it, you know, from that, you know, I guess the older we get as well, you know, we, we, you know, we encounter things, disappointments, failures, you know, you know, try to, you know, it's look at the world in a certain way. Is that, is that, is that lacking betachon? Is that lacking positivity? I mean, because you got the extreme, you know, opposite, you know, I read a book called Toxic Positivity, where sometimes you're just, you know, where it can be like grading if you're supposed to, you know, be constantly happy or you know, appear happy over something that, you know, they're not yeah. so, you know, so good, you know. Anyway, sort of the gist of my. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Look, it's a very, very fair, very a real question. Look. Yeah. I'll put it. Let me. Let me answer. Let me not answer. Let me. Let me convey. Let me just be a conduit for the answer. Let me tell you uh, 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 one line from Tehillim, which uh, one line of Tehillim. And what it says in Yalkut Shemayini, because the Yalkut Shemayini asks your exact question, really. And, and it leaves the answer to us, but I'll tell you what Yalkut Shemayini says on this one Tehillim. Tehillim, we say, the, one of the Kapitlach, I think in the Lamids, David HaMelech says, Samachti li. I was happy, I was joyous. Samachti, I was happy. When people would tell me, Base Hashem Nelech, let us go to the house of HaKadosh Baruch let us go to Hashem's house, which is the Beis HaMikdash. I'll say the line again over. David says, I was happy. I was joyous. I was besimcha when people told me, let's go to the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? Fine. So the Mepharshan asked, David HaMelech didn't build the Beis HaMikdash. There was no Beis Hashem. Shleimah built it. Hashem said, David, you can't build it. So what does David mean that when he when people said, let's go to the Beis HaMikdash, I was happy. There was no Beis HaMikdash. So here's, there's different answers. Here's Yalkut Shemayini. Akashmani is from the oldest midrashim we have, close to 2,000 years old. Listen to this, very, very powerful. It gets to your, your good question. The Alkut says this is really what happened. You should know everybody knew that David had a big dream and an ambition, and it was holy, it was with Kedusha, to build the house of Hashem. To build the base of And he did fundraising for it, and he got the blueprints, and he hired, and he did the campaign, and the, he did all the. He did everything. He sent out the emails. Seder. Then Hashem told him, no, you're not going to build key and Barnett. Hashem is going to build a base on Megdash. So David was very sad about it because Hashem said, no, you can't do it. Hashem told him, Rav Dom Shafachta, you, you're a person of war. So it's not for you. Your son's going to do it. Shleim. Fine. But it hurt David. So now we know from Tehillim and Tanakh and Gemara that David didn't only have a fan, a fan club. He had a lot of enemies. He had people that really didn't like him at all. He had real, he had people that harassed him that uh, today we'd say he had people that trolled him. 
So, so the Al-Kachimani says there were people that didn't like David. For example, in Tanakh Shimi, the Mara says that he cursed out David tremendously, an example. But people didn't like David. So, so the Al-Kachimani says there were certain trolls or certain people that would try to really get David upset. Know what they would do? They would, would see when David was walking somewhere in Shalayim, they would hide in a tree or behind the valley somewhere. And they would scream out to David, David, come, let's walk to the base Amigdash. David, you want to go to the base Amigdash? Base Hashem Nelech. Come to the base Amigdash. Meaning to say, you didn't build the base Amigdash. Hashem rejected you. You're not such a knacker. Hashem doesn't want you to build. Hashem doesn't want your building project. He doesn't want the shul in your name. <laughs> you're all, you're, you're. So, so that would hurt. They said it to hurt David. That's what the Yalkut says. What's your mind? So when people said, the Alkaz of the Beis HaMikdash was not built. And people were making fun. They were hurting David. So, okay. So now, think in your own life. You're a person. It could be older, younger. We have people that don't like us. People that demean us. It could be a teacher. It could be a parent. You're bad. You're not good. You're a failure. The Lashon of the Medrash Hashem says you're a failure. You're bad. You're bad. We all probably had, maybe not a teacher that, 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 you know, made us not feel good or a parent or an older sibling, but everybody has. Uh... Okay. So in life, in other words, in life, when people sit, when the environment or people really hurt you in, in powerful ways, how do you respond? So now we come to your question. One second. What, when, the, when David says, what was David in your words? Was he not being realistic? Was David being twisting reality? What was David doing? What does the Yalka do? So the Yalka answers the question. 2,000 years old. Yalka Shemini says, this is what David did. David stopped. And he, he knew it was an insult. Yalka Shemini says, David thought, these people are the Meridim. They're the Pesha Yisrael. These Jews are, are, are not the best Jews at all. They're, very, they're at a very low level. The al says, David said, these Jews are at the lowest level. What's on their mind? What is the, in the machshava of the lowest Jew? A real low life. What's on the machshava of a low life? Beis Hashem Neilech. Are you just thinking, let's go to the Beis HaMikdash. Let's build the Beis HaMikdash. So the al says, David HaMelech stopped for a second, got out of the insult, and he said, the lowest Jew thinks about Hashem, davening, Yerushalayim, building Beis HaMikdash, donating to the campaign. So then... Some, David said, Samachti, he forgot about the insult, and he said, Samachti Baruch Hashem, what a beautiful nation. Oh, here the Yaakov Shemani is telling us, in the real world, with real insults, with real degradation, when somebody's really saying to start garnished, could be insulted, we have the freedom not to be run by our emotions or by insults that, from people around us. We have the freedom to recreate a new pattern in our mind. To somehow come up with a whole idea that the lowest Jew is thinking about the Mesa Migdash. And then what does the al say? Then it's not just in Hashkafa, then it's Suddenly my emotions. So what the al is saying, very different than what Freud says and very different than what a lot of other, you said toxic positivity. The al is saying there's a toxic negativity. Toxic negativity is a lot of secular... Um, psychological thought, a lot, which says that a human being is controlled by their moods, by their genes, by their environment. But that a human being is filled with anxiety, stress, uh, psychosis, neurosis, chirosis, all Jewish, <laughs> all Jewish problems. 
comes the Yalka to say that Yid is not governed by all these things. A Yid is governed by Machshavah. Think differently, and then it goes Samachti and you become a happier person. So what the Yalka is saying in a word is, you think that your emotions control you? No, your mind controls your emotions. As the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, in his revolutionary uh, putting the, in chapter 12 in Tanya, Human beings, mind always controls the heart. We're, we're, we are the, we're the pilot. I give a simple image. We'll go to the next question. Here's a simple, but it's a very powerful image. You see it in New York a lot. Look at, at the ocean. Look at, at the ocean or big lakes. You'll see a sailboat. Sailboat, a beautiful sailboat in the summer. Sailboat. But the question is, the next time you look at a sailboat, ask yourself, what governs the direction of the sailboat? What governs the direction? Is it the, the, the direction of the wind or is, it, or is it the position of the sail? The answer is it's not the wind, it's the sail. Because you'll see a wind, same wind, one sailboat moving north from north to south and one from south north. Same wind. It's the sail that determines the direction. Why, why am I saying that? Is because our mind, what the Yalkut is saying, is this. That the ocean is our life, and the ocean has sometimes storms. And 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 Mayim, Mayim Rabin, right? In the Mayim Rabin, there are big storms in life. But we're the captain of our machshava. We're the captain of our ship. We control our sails. The winds, all different kinds. So, what port do I end up? Am I do I end up with my family, with my children, in a happy, on a, in a happy, beautiful place? Is my destination something beautiful, something of kedusha and ava and tahara? filled with beautiful things? Or is it in a port of negativity, of sadness, of melancholiness and depression? You say, oh, it was the wind, I had bad winds. We're the captain of our minds, we're the captain of our thoughts, and therefore we could take whatever wind comes our way, it buffets against us, but I can harness it to move to a beautiful port of harchava, of bracha, and of simcha. Okay, let's jump on to the next question, you're on. Good evening. Thank you for taking my question. Um, it's very well understood what you're saying that uh, we need to focus on the positive positivity and always, you know, the whole Russia, we heard it all. Um, according to that, the person gets up in the morning, he says, I'm going to get up, all good, and everything. And then he goes into a therapy session where he starts dwelling on the negativity of the past. According to you, people shouldn't go see a therapist and dwell on the past because then they're digging into negativity. We need to focus on the on the positivity of moving forward. I'm very happy you asked the question because it uh, it allows me to clarify. So the first chas uh, not that you said anything wrong, but I'm happy that I could I could clarify chas meaning to say that in Yiddishkeit it's always very clear. That there's the physical, there's the psychological, and the mental. When you get back, love you. And those things are very, very real. There's the chemical. Those things are always very, very real. That and, and we're not of the. You know, there is a whole faith community that says you shouldn't have doctors. But in Torah, it's the Nitin Rishus, the Rapa, that we believe in doctors and medicine, etc., etc. And obviously, even in halacha, if there's a question, for example, on Yom Kippur about a chayla. You don't ask the Rav, you go to, if there's a doctor, you, the doctor examines and says, this person should drink or eat. Even the Rav will go to the doctor because the halacha will be determined by the doctor. That includes therapy, 
chemicals, etc. So of course there's room for therapy and sometimes that's the only answer. Sometimes it's a chemical thing. Sometimes a person needs real therapy and it could even be a chemical imbalance. With chemical imbalance, no amount of tefillah and no amount of exercise and a positive thought are gonna help. If you have a deficiency in vitamin C, you can eat all the kugel. <laughs> you can eat all the kugel and say, oh, you need to have vitamin C, finish. That's how Hashem created the world, fine. But that said, you are 100% right that if you go to the wrong therapist, it's horrible. If you go to a therapist that believes that a human being is only hereditary in environment, then you're in the, uh, like Freud, Freud says many good things, but he also says many hor horrible things that according to Yiddishkeit is absolutely true. I think it's, it's, the, I think it's more than uh, Yiddishkeit. So it's very important that when we have, you have a therapist, you have to get somebody who also understands that a human being has a soul and is free and, the, and the, how powerful the machshava is. That somebody, somebody, uh, somebody once asked the late Lubavitcher Rebbe your question. He was actually a therapist and he was a big scholar in Freudian thought. And he said, I'm studying Freud, I'm an expert in Freud. And Freud says that if you dig down into the human psyche, you'll find the ids, unhealthy, negative impulses that just want to do un, engage in unhealthy relationships and pleasures. And if you don't express that, it's just because you're being repressed either by your school or your community or your faith. But that's the essence. That's the primis. That's really who you are, the id. This is, I'm learning Jewish thoughts, both in the Talmud and in the Tanya and in Kabbalah. And I see it teaches diametric opposites. And it says, of, co of course, a yid has negative things. You have a Yitzhara. That's in Judaism, certainly. But what Torah says is the essence, the essence of a person, the deepest depth of a person is, is, is the soul, is godliness. Etzim is, like we say every morning, it's holy, it's pure, it's beautiful. That's the essence. So he asked Lobavitcher, is there, could we reconcile Freud and the Tanya, or is it irreconcilable? You wanted to know. So the Rebbe said, this answers your question very beautifully. I'm just saying what the Rebbe said here, but drop, using a different language. It was a letter that I read. The Rebbe said, Freud discovered many things that were true. In other words, and the example he gave was if you can look at a human being and view them as just green grass. So he said, many people looked outside a lawn and they said, oh, beautiful green grass, beautiful. Freud started to dig. What happens if you dig under green grass? You find mud. So Freud started to find different color mud and he examined Nachtifa, different color mud, a different quality, a different, a different, yeah. So Freud found these things. So a lot of that could be true. And so we owe a debt of gratitude in a sense for somebody who says, okay, let's stop being superficial. Let's go. I need therapy. I have issues. We dig, we find mud. So what the said was Freud dug and he found the id. And, and, and that's true. But if he would have dug deeper, would have found the yid. You could find the id, and then you can find the yid. They're both true. In other words, so if you have a therapist that only believes in the id, that your therapies, if you're lucky, it won't do damage. That's putting it very, very nicely. But you go to a, a good therapist, just like you have to go to a good doctor who believes there's an id and a yid, then of course you go to therapy and hopefully he'll direct with all the, in a professional way, and then also to a proper ashkafa about the power that a human being has. By the way, similar with medicine, imagine you go to a doctor and the doctor doesn't believe that you have a heart, or he believes your heart is in your ankle. 
Do you believe I shouldn't go to a doctor? Yes, yeah, such a doctor don't go to. Stay very far away. You think your heart's in your ankle. So a therapist doesn't believe you have a soul. First of all, they're misdiagnosed. They're guaranteed that 50%, whatever they say, is already wrong. Misdiagnosis. Because they don't believe in at least half of you. So, but if you go to a therapist that knows, then of course it's necessary and there's place for it. So, so that is... Uh, that's how we have to view it. There was once a child, there was once a child who comes home from school, comes home from yeshiva, and he sees his father. His father has was a stickle, he had some cast issues. He didn't go to therapy. He had some, uh, he had some issues with cast, and he wanted his children to be, you know, the next Google had their big alien. And that's the kid comes home, and uh, on his Gemara, all failure. He got all failures. And the kid sees the father's about to fly into a rage to really lose it and yell and scream and holler and demean. Before the father could say a word, the child looks at the father and says, Abba, he's his father. What do you think the problem with me is? Hereditary or environment? <laughs> we all, none, almost none of us come from perfect hereditary or perfect environment. But what Yiddishkeit says is that doesn't not the only determinative. We we what that doesn't determine us. What determines us is we can rise above it and higher. Lashon Chazal in Mazal Yisrael that Yid can rise above all different forces. The ancient called it fate. The Marans call it genetics. And Teira says in Mazal. Of course, we're biological creatures and we need to. We, we, we sleep and we wake up, but he wakes up and says, The first thing I wake up, I go gratitude. I connect to Hashem. And the day is very different. Yeah, Rabbi Greenberg, an interesting thing came in. Somebody texted us. I want to clarify it. What the rabbi is saying, it sounds very like happy-go-lucky, breastlift, thank you, Hashem, blah, positivity. Is that basically what you're saying? Or is it something more deeper than that? First of all, I think the bratzle is wonderful. They're happy. It's a very good thing. The shayla is, if you're not a bratzle, if you're not a chassid of bratzle, how do you have the same simcha? There's a book. There's a book where Rabbi Rush writes, you know, the thousand thank yous, gratitude. It's yeah. like a very, like, lofty concept. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying something a little bit more different than that? That's the question. So I'm saying, I've been trying to say, what I've been trying to say is that... The mind controls much more than we realize in life and much more than society says it controls. And I'll put it in a, a very simple equation. Okay? Very simple equation. As mentioned, the mind is the one thing we only full, we have, the one thing that we have full control over. One thing you have full control over is the machshav. Our mind determines our emotions. And our emotions determines our quality of life. In other words, the way I think and view reality determines how I feel about it. And how I feel determines the quality of life. So the equation is mind equals emotion, emotions equals life. There you have a beautiful equation for the al So much of happiness comes down to what I think because that affects my the quality of my life is my emotions. What's the quality of my life? How I feel. But what, what affects how I feel? I thought. So that is a very profound, deep idea. Not only is it a profound, deep idea, many, I would say not many, most schools of philosophy and psychology disagree with it. Most do not give the freedom and the power of pchira, the freedom and the dignity 
that a human being has, what Judaism ascribes every human being, Tzalim is capable of. So um, Yiddishkeit was born in a, in a revolution against enslavement to spaces and people. Avram, Hashem tells the first seed, Avram and Sarah, leave environment, your father's house, your, what you were taught, your space, your country, your culture. Yid could charter a new path, it could create a new world. Leave Mitzrayim, Yiddishkeit as a whole, is born in a revolution against slavery, against imprisonment, to freedom, to Eretz, Teva, or Chava. Go take the Teva and create a new world for your life and for the world entire. And we do that because a Yid could choose a different path. To be a Jew is to start walk on the path of Avram and Sarah, to walk on the path that the Yidin left Mitzrayim. And that is a path of Teva, connecting to Hashem, which gives us real freedom, to charter a different course for ourselves and humanity. It's a revolutionary thought. It was revolutionary 4,000 years ago, and it's revolutionary today. It is not simple. It's a challenge every day. Most mornings, I don't wake up personally. And oh, wonderful. I have to go I have to meditate. I have to try. I might have to go to therapy, say l'chaim, hear a shir, all combine all the remedies. And then you work at it, and uh, but it has to be besimcha. That's no question about it. Okay, so, Rabbi Greenberg, I want to clarify something. We've got a few emails that came in this, and I just want to clarify something. Person going through a real struggle, a massive, you know, health. Somebody's sick. Somebody's in a real sorrow. We're not talking about, you know, uh, you know, my car got a dent. You're not talking about those type of things. Real next level sorrows. Yeah. Is it this is the mahalach? Just be positive. Isn't that denial? Just saying being positive all day. So I want to clarify a, a real sorrow versus you know what we're talking about a little bit. Look, pain and real sorrows is not a topic. Real pain is real pain. So, so especially if we're going through it or somebody else is going through it. So, if, uh, let, let's let's first put it this way: if a friend is going through something, something very painful, like uh, Coach Menachem said earlier, some, a friend says, "I'm going through pain." It's not at all for a youth to say you're not going through pain. They're experiencing pain, so it's real pain. So the response that a yid has to have to somebody else's pain is if they have a sore throat is to bring chicken soup. It's not to give them a pill pill. <laughs> it's to help. It's to do whatever we could to help to alleviate the pain. It could be with chicken soup. It could be with a doctor. It could be before you had the beautiful uh, the people who were involved with Bina with, with uh, brain injuries. So the Jewish response is to deal with it in the best way. Real pain needs real response in whatever way we could. So that, that's, that's obvious, that, that's obvious. But then the question becomes, and of course when there's tragedy, but then the question becomes, for most of us, most of our days and most of our life, everything that we're talking about is incredibly relevant. So it, I'm, I'm happy you asked that question because it's certainly the case that there are moments in life and there are situations where the main focus is not at all Think positive, chas when great tragedy just hit. That's a different calculation. And, it's, it, and, 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 and most of us have been there or we have friends that have been there. And that's real pain is real pain. And uh, the, that we, what we only can do is do whatever we could to alleviate the pain and, and give them the best support we can have either, either for ourselves or for others. But then the question becomes, with time, with time, do we wallow in the negativity, in the mistake I made, 
in the wrong I did, in the criticism I heard, and allows, and do I allow that to find me? So I say, I am not good, I am a failure, I am a bad Jew, I'm a bad person, I am not blessed, I'm always going to be a failure. Or at a certain moment, and each person has to decide when that moment is, I need to start waking up and saying, I'm an ambassador of Hashem, Hashem is with me, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to find brachas in my life, I'm going to find it, we have to define ourselves. In other words, at a certain moment, the story that I said of Roger Bannister is true, is a very true story. Um, you're asking if Roger Bannister breaks his leg, that, that, he, at that moment you say, oh, uh, you're going to break the barrier tomorrow. No, obviously, then it's a, you have to go into a different mode for a few weeks or months or whatever it is. But, that, but to have that positive thing is very, uh, very real. Let me tell you a very moving story. I think it's my favorite story of the Chafetz Chaim. It's a very beautiful story. It gets to this question. Prophet Chaim lived at the last time in, in history, in human history, where you could be very famous, a big celebrity, and no one knows what you look like. So because in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there were, you didn't have in the Fruma communities cameras. It wasn't popular. It wasn't common. So the Prophet Chaim, um, this was later in his life already. It was after he published Sfarim, and he would sell them. He would go and speak on the topics. Most Jews did not know what he looked like. There's actually one small video clip you could see on YouTube of the Chafetz Chaim for, for a few seconds. That, that video just came out recently. They just found it in an archive of Fox News, but they didn't have that video. That's a new video. So the Chafetz Chaim was once uh, going to a place to, 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 to teach and to sell some of his farm. That was also his paranasa. He was on a train and he was going to it was a big Jewish town or city. He was sitting next to another Yid. So they start to talk a little bit. The Chafetz Chaim asked the seed next to him, where are you going? So he says, you don't know that Tzaddik, the guy in the God of Israel, is coming to this city and he's going to give a drasha about Miho Isha Chafetz Chaim. If you want to have a good life, you have to say the Shem Chumayra. And he's going to, it's, it's going to be unbelievable. So it's a, it's a great privilege. It's very special. So the Chafetz Chaim looks at the seed. The guy had no idea he was talking to the Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim says, I want to tell you something. I know the Chafetz Chaim. I met him. Personally, I know him. He's not the tzaddik you make him out to be. He's not the God of Israel. Yes, is it? So the guy flew into such a rage that this person was Mervaza the Torah and he didn't have proper coverage with Hamid Rechamim. I felt asking for him. You got to slap the Chafetz Chaim in the face. How can you speak about a God of Israel? Chafetz Chaim, just. don't respond. Fine. They go, the, the, the train stops. A few hours later, the Chavetz Chaim is giving the darsha. He's in the show. You know? This fellow comes walking in. He almost faints. He sees the yid. He's smacked in the train with the Chavetz Chaim. He, he wanted to bury himself on the spot. Anyways, when the Chavetz Chaim finished, he goes over and he starts to weep. He says, I didn't know it was you. I'm sorry. I saw this person. So the Chavetz Chaim, with a twink classic, with a twinkle in his eye, the Chavetz Chaim gave him a smile. He says, you have no reason to ask for Mechila. So the guy says, what do you mean I have no reason to ask for Mechila? So the Chavetz Chaim tells him, after all, it was my honor you were defending. You were defending my covenant. But then the Chavetz Chaim told him something very profound. The Chavetz Chaim told him, you actually taught me something today. He says, I wrote a whole sefer, it was after he wrote Chavetz Chaim, he says, I wrote a whole sefer talking about Shemir Shalashan and how we have to be careful about what we say, 
not the chas v'shalom hurt another yid, pegay and somebody's covered. And I wrote a whole sefer about not saying bad things about other people and not harming other people with our words. He said, today I learned we shouldn't say Lashon Hara about ourselves. We shouldn't say bad things about ourselves. You taught me that in a very memorable way, you know, <laughs> hands-on, hands-on way. But what the Chafetz Chaim was saying was something deep. He wasn't just saying not to speak Lashon Hara about yourself. He was saying, you can't say bad things about ourselves. You can't think bad thoughts about Say bad things, but the Chovetz Chaim, as I understand it, the Chovetz Chaim was saying was that if we say bad things about ourselves, we think bad things about ourselves, then we're going to be hurt. Life's going to hurt us. It's going to be very painful. You can't, just like you can't harm another Yid Chasashon by saying Loshon Hara, where it says Kotla Klas, Loshon Hara kills, it has impact, and you can't say bad words about yourself, not out loud and not. So the way we think about ourselves, the words we say about ourselves in our own mind and out loud either allow us to walk taller and happier or diminish us. So, so much of that is in our control. And to two or three of the questions, it's not silly. It's not simple. It's not happy-go-lucky. It takes, you know what? Let me, let me, let me reverse it because there's two or three questions the same. Let me change it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go now reverse the, of these questions. It's the exact opposite of, the, of these three questions. It, so listen closely to how I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it this way. It takes no courage to wake up in the morning and be depressed. That's the default. I'm going to be sad today. I'm a great success. I'm realistic. I'm depressed. I could do that every morning. <laughs> it takes courage to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to work to be besimcha. I'm going to work to think positive. I'm going to work to accomplish. The, the questions are coming in in the reverse. Oh, it's not realistic. Oh, it's easy. Oh, I'm realistic, I'm sad. The exact opposite. It is, takes no courage to wake up in the morning and be depressed. Shalom Aleichem, welcome to the Club of Humanity. It takes tremendous courage and kayak and emuna and work to say I'm going That's what we're called to do. It ain't simple at all. Okay, so now they want to take it to the next level. Here's a question that what the rabbi is saying sounds beautiful. Why is it so hard to actually do this in reality? You know, everybody's going through their struggles and it's, you know, the default mode is hard. How do I change that and practically put in some steps? What are some steps that we can start doing right now to change the way our mind works? Very good. Beautiful question. And those are two questions. So I'll say the first question, two, two key reasons of why it's hard to be positive and be upbeat and besimcha. One reason is, as mentioned, because the human mind is wired that we should survive. And so it's always looking for what's out to harm us so we should survive. If we wouldn't have that, it would be a very big problem. So part of it is genetically how we're wired. And then, like I said, Yiddishkeit wants us to have that, but to download a whole other kind of perspective. So that's part of it. The other part of it has to do with the time we live in, and that is when, let me put it this way. We don't find by our parents, our grandparents, great-grandparents, we don't find they're going to therapy and they had all these issues. So what's going on today? Why, why today, do we, why, is, why, why are people so sad or depressed and why are, all the, why are there all these struggles? So part of it is ironically, it's counterintuitive, but it's because we're living in such blessed times, because we're living in such times of relative hachava and freedom, 
So it opens up a whole new set of problems, meaning to say, let's, the muscle would be this. We all sometimes experience tiredness or we have a headache, okay? You'll have, I'm not talking about hospital level, but you know, when we're under the weather a bit, we're feeling a bit down, we all have that. Imagine we had that kind of feeling and suddenly our neighbor's house was on fire, our house. The second we would spring out of bed, for the next two hours, we wouldn't be cognizant. We wouldn't be aware at all of what is bothering us, what's holding us up. We would be bezizous. We would be with great alacrity and speed in saving and rescuing and redeeming. So literally for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, for most of Jewish history, Jews didn't have the luxury to sit back and say, what is my inner issue here? They were busy with fires. They were busy with, how do I prove, I have to work all day to provide a piece of bread for my family. How am I going to protect my family from the harsh elements, from the pogrom, from my expulsion? In our times, Baruch Hashem, for most of us, most of the time in the Western world, we don't have these, the, the difficulty and the problems that other generations had. So in many ways, for the first time, you could, could, could kick back and say, okay, now I can start. Now I have other issues. Similar to when a house is not burning, I, could, I, could, I have time to focus and to nurture my headache and my, why am I tired? So those are two possible reasons. I think they're both part of why it is, why it's difficult, because this is the time we live in. There's other reasons. There's technology. There's many other reasons. Um, I'll give another 60-second reason, because I think it's very important. We are hit all with hundreds of advertisements every single day, between the newspapers and the apps and the billboards and the everything. The key, the heart of every advertisement, what's at the heart of every advertisement? is to create artificial dissatisfaction, to make you miserable. If you're not miserable with the car you have, you're not going to buy a new one. If you're not miserable with the suit or the dress you have, you're not going to... So the advertisement to make you feel inadequate. It's artificial. What you have, you're not good. You're not with it. You're not... Uh... So we're bombarded hundreds of times every day, and every message is you're not good, you're not the way you should be, you're not, etc. So when a person is hit constantly with the most sophisticated psychological minds and artists saying that what you have is not good enough you're it you're, you're not you, you, and you're missing and you're you don't have shlemus you don't have happiness or you're not the way you should be until you have the next gadget the next tchotchke so if you don't have the new tesla with windshield wipers from 2022 with for helicopters to clear for on the sunroof then your, your car is not peseda so that also the advertising and it causes great dissatisfaction also so it's a combination of these things how we're designed of the blessings we have, of the advertising, all come together and create, uh, create a uh, lack of menucha, and so on and so forth. So then we need to deal with it in, the, with, in, in new ways. We need, these are new challenges to a certain extent. So we need to look into Yiddishkeit and we look into whatever it takes to, uh, to be happy. So that is, the, to answer that question, the times we live, um, in terms of practical things, I will say two things, two practical things. Number one, I mentioned, but I want, I, I find it very helpful for myself and for others. We all wake up in the morning, we say Meidani, yeah? Stop for 30 seconds and, and, and try to take it seriously every morning. We, we, we might fail some mornings, but instead of saying Meidani, Lifanecha, and Give it 30 seconds or a minute and really think about 
that Hashem is giving us a new neshama with a new mission today and all the brachas we have around us. Give it 30 seconds, 60 seconds. You want to really go crazy with toxic positivity. Give it two minutes. Think about the brachas we have, all the blessings that already surround us. Tremendous blessing. I mean, even part of a, a, a meditation of Meidaani, when you wake up, it's the reason why I'm saying Meidaani, first of all, it's the first field that we say, we say it in bed, start off day. And I read some beautiful research they called, non-Jewish therapists wrote that the first five or six seconds of thought that you have in the morning, they called it the rudder of the day. That the first five seconds determines the direction, the mahalach, the kivun of your day. So when I read it, I thought, how beautiful. In Yiddish, can you start with Meida Ami? Start, and it says that affects just like a ship, the rudder determines the whole destination. You turn the rudder a bit in the beginning of the journey and you end up a completely different destination. So similarly, psychologically, we're thinking the first moments of thought changes the direction of the day. So my first practical thing is something very simple and profoundly Jewish, but also very deep. Wake up and thank Hashem. I'll expand 30 seconds. You see how powerful it is. You don't realize that we, you're, where you said before, uh, I think Asha said cash, two words, cash, happiness, cash, happiness. Everybody ready here, we're worth billions. What do I mean you're worth billions? Somebody would say, I would pay for both of your eyes. I'll give you a billion in an eye. I don't think anybody, any one of us would sell both of our eyes for a billion dollars. I certainly wouldn't. I don't think, how much would you sell your arm for? You wouldn't sell it. So in other words, if you look at yourself, we really have assets of billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. So do we wake up and think that? Usually not. So maybe we should. Because they, Hashem, you gave me already. Unbelievable. You gave me infinite Hashem's. I have billions of dollars of assets right here, just in my body. That's a neshama, a mitzvah later, and later bracha. So to wake up and think, that already solves half of our problems. So think, wake up in the morning with a, 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 a short tefillah meidani, but let's take it seriously. Take it seriously, it changes our day. That's one thing. And second thing I would do is throughout the day, let's take what the Chofetz Chaim said seriously. Watch our words. But not about other people. That's a separate Avedis. About what we're, say good words about ourselves out loud and to others. Speak, you look at the words we say and say, can I change words? So the words, I should use more positive words about everything going on in my life. Let me just tweak my vocabulary. Because words are very powerful. What do I mean, very powerful? A lot of the statements that they say in America, in the Western world, the truth is the exact opposite. <laughs> they say in America, sticks or stones can break our bones, names don't hurt. Real pain actually comes from bad words more than sticks and stones. Stick and stone you can heal from pretty quickly. A bad word from a teacher when you're a kid, that, that's, that can really hurt for decades. Words are powerful. How powerful? If somebody punches you in the stomach, your face changes color. There's biological changes, biochemical changes. If somebody tells you something terrible, a real shtick, something real and nasty, your face changes colors. Words impact like a punch. Somebody says something negative, it affects you. So words have a great, great power. So what words, are, how are we describing ourselves? How are we describing things around us? It makes a big difference. A simple one, I, I watched a, uh, a talk uh, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, 19, I think it was 1976. In 1976, a big group from Israel came 
soldiers, chayalim, they came from the Tzahal, from Eretz Yisrael. Hashem, we should bless them and protect them with tremendous hatzlacha. But they came, they were all wounded soldiers that came after the war, 1967. 1967, they came, sorry, it was 1976, 1976. And uh, so it was after, I guess, after the Yom Kippur War. And they were wounded. Many of them were in wheelchairs. And they came to 770 in Brooklyn. It was arranged, so they came. And the group was called on the flyers. And what they were called was, the group was called Nichei Tzahal, the wounded, the handicap of, of the defense forces of Israel. It's called Nichei Tzahal. That was the flyer. And the, you see pictures. You can watch. You can Google it. It will pop right up. You can see the talk. Never spoke kind of in Hebrew then. Usually spoke in Yiddish. This was in Hebrew. And you could see the talk. You could see it. So the Rebbe, right in the beginning of the talk, it was very, I remember it because it was very powerful to me. The Rebbe said, I refuse to call you Chevre Nichei Tzahal, the wounded, the handicapped of Israel. You're not Nichei Tzahal, you're Mitsuyane Tzahal. You're Mitsuyane Yisrael, not Nichei. You're not the handicapped of Israel, you're the exceptional of Israel. You're the exceptional. And then he went on to say, of course, there's a physical challenge, but that means that Hashem gives you extra capacity in other areas to be extra and more special, to be Mitsuyane, to be extraordinary. So it was a very moving, real talk, very, very powerful. That was that you have special capacities that you can reach special levels, you're Mitsuyane. In other words, what was the Rebbe saying? You come in here thinking, I am handicapped. Realistic. What the Rebbe wanted in a gentle way was to leave, I am Mitsuyane, I am special, I am gifted, I have capacities that I can use in beautiful ways. In the language of the Chofetz Chaim, don't say Lashon Hara about yourself. Don't say bad things. Don't say, I'm Nichei Yisrael. Mitsuyone Yisrael. So look at our language and change it to positive things. Another example I saw in a book where the Rebbe would use, you could say I have a, a, a deadline or versus a due date. Deadline is a, a negative connotation. Say I have a, uh, a due date, positive, pa- about ourselves, about our children. You say, oh, ask any Jewish parent, I caught my child. You caught your child, what's the next word? I caught my child doing, it's always going to be a sin, an aveira, a bad thing, a bad midah. I caught my child. It, it, it has to be changed. I caught my child doing the mitzvah. When a parent tells you, a teacher says, I caught your child. If you know that there's going to be something negative, then there's something negative in the report, in our institution, in our family. It should be, I caught my child doing the mitzvah. Shady, I caught you last night. You did a chesed. You were learning. You were davening. Why is it if I caught it's negative? So that means our default is we're using language in a negative way. So change in our family, how we talk about our spouse, our children, ourselves. Use positive words. It may seem like a simple thing. I'm going to change a word. It's going to affect the way I view myself. The words I use to describe children, myself, really changes us dramatically because it's changing what I put after I am. I read research they did in Washington University about an American stereotype in America and pop culture and films, et cetera, and the books and literature. The stereotype is that Asians are excellent at math. It's a stereotype. And women are not good at math. That's the stereotype. Not, not that it's true, but that's a cultural stereotype. So psychiatrists did this experiment. They had a bunch of women come in, Asian women come in to do a math test. And to a big group, 50% of the big chalik, they, they told them as they were writing who they are, they said, write about your gender. So the person wrote, I'm a woman and this, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then the 50 another big group, they said, write about your ethnicity. So a bunch of other part of the group were writing, I am Asian. The difference was a 20 something percent, a 23% difference in the math score that the women that wrote I'm Asian, they defined themselves as Asian. They scored 20%, over 20% higher than us. It's the same people, same people, the same culture, the same everything. The only difference was on the paper, one word, Asian or woman. So again, obviously, we're not talking about women or Asians here. We're talking about one word in a person's mind because of a cultural stereotype affects a 20% difference in a score. So don't say, oh, a word, we know from science, we know from endless research that one word has a powerful effect on our mind, on our psychological reaction, and how we, we, we succeed or fail in running, in thinking, or in a math test. So those would be the two things. Let's take me any more seriously. Obviously, one chas want to be initially you could extend it to all of Tula. <laughs> so that uh, you know, so that's one. And then watch our words. What are we thinking about ourselves? What words? Make sure the I am's are beautiful, upbeat, and that takes courage and it will change our day, it will change our life. I have no question that if we if we put positive I am's after the way we uh, think of ourselves, it changes our life. Greenberg Murder. We'll try to cover on a little bit more before we go to the end. <clears throat> There's one other question that came in. I think it's interesting. My teenager, who's a struggling teenager, is always negative. I try to be positive, but they just make fun of it. In general, it seems like teenagers today are very negative and critical. What can we do to try to pour over some of this positivity into the teenage door of 2022? Next question. <laughs> no, that's a good question. I mean, yeah. So some say that teenagers for a few years, they lose part of their brain and you have to wait till it comes back. It could be a, it could be a, a theory. But, um, but uh, there's, uh, I believe the, 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 the Kotzka says a Geshmaka Vart about this issue. It says, he asks a question on Shema. It says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elikecha. You have to say Hashem Elikecha. Love God, you have to, you should love God. You should love Hashem with all your heart. It should be real, deep, with all of your keiches, with everything you have. It should be real and beyond it, with everything you have. Then it continues. And then it goes on to say, you should start, you should. Then it goes on to say, you should teach these things to your children. You should talk about them. You should schmooze in your house and talk to your children on the way when they get up on the streets, when you're traveling on the plane. So he asks the question, what's the connection between the two? First it says, we have to, you should love Hashem. That's a chivis halvavis. That has to do with emotion, psychology. You have to love Hashem. That's a whole sugya bifniyatsma. And then it goes on to seemingly a whole different topic, a topic of education. Education. Different topic. Kotzke says the only way to really change our children in Yiddishkeit and in all things, but especially when it comes with, with Teir and Mitzvahs, is that the, it has to be the Haftas Hashem Lekecha first. It has to be Our children need to see that Teir and Mitzvah, Tefillah, Tzedakah, Teir, everything we do is sincere and it's with love. If it's with love, then our children will, will get it. Then, then it's going to be the, the rest of Shema and the rest of the, the command to teach our children will have a much greater impact. So sometimes we could be wonderful Jews, 
but we don't show our children the passion we have for Hashem. And, 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 that, uh, and we don't realize it. I'll give you a personal example. Um, um, I, want, I, I, don't, I don't recommend that anybody tries this at home. No, no there's the warning, don't try this at home. So don't, don't try this at home. I went and asked my, the two of my older children, and they were, I said, what, are, what do you think is most important to Tati and Mommy? I wanted to see what they think. Just write it down. I said, you know, write whatever you think is true. Don't, don't write what you think. I... So I looked at their list of five things, and I was horrified. It was like, don't disturb Tati when he's on the cell phone. Don't spill milk on the couch. I thought my children need right away therapy. They, 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 they have issues. This is this Teira, Mitzvah, Hashem, a cell phone, milk on the couch. That's what they think is most important to me. I think sugar. What kind of kids do I have? Sugar, I am the kids I am sugar. What, what school are they going to? But then I thought about it and I realized when, when I'm learning, if I have a Gemara, you know, if I'm learning Gemara, if they see me davening, what do they see? So sometimes they can see it looks like a Kalti. He's looking and he's, he's learning, he's davening. Did they see it? Did they see the same passion of sometimes a very important call, a phone call? You know, you're speaking to about a bus, you're doing something very important. So, how, what, did, did, did they, do, I, do I say like one second? I go, they see, they see all the stylus. So, in other words, I thought I'm to, in my, to, to me, in my life, I'm communicating most of our resources and time is in Chinuch, in, in Teir and Mitzvah. So, I thought that's what. But love Dafka, my child sees the passion and the emotion in the Yiddishkeit that they see. Maybe if somebody cuts me off on the street, they see a guy, a whole new Shama Yisera comes down on the highway. So that's what the Katzke was saying. They have to assemble the that children, we could be Elichayid. Now I'm not talking about myself. A could be Elichayid and it's Sadiq and everything, call it Terakula. But it could be done in a certain limited taste of. Uh, very Batish and dust, and in other areas in his life, there's passion. So it has to be about the question: How do we influence our kids? You have to We have to make sure not only it's in our heart, but our children see the passion of Yiddishkeit, of Torah, of Mitzvah, of Chesed, tremendously, and then and then they have a different, or hopefully, write a different list. It shouldn't be it should be a happy list to see. So that is, um, that is in terms of, of, of teenagers to really do it in that way, also to be very positive and focus on the positive and encourage the positive because most teenagers are, are not gonna be tzaddikim. So you have to focus on the positive. It's very, very important to do and it's hard. We say, was a the first gener- the first century. And then the Mishnah lists and Pekiyavis that lists all his Tamidim, Etc. So, and then the Mishnah says, and used to sing their praise. He used to say beautiful things about them. And then the Mishnah goes on to say what he would say: Create, you're creative, your photographic memory, you're, you have awe of Hashem, beautiful. beautiful praises. So the Mefarshim asks, it's a Mishnah. A Mishnah is halacha. Why is there a history lesson coming here? Why suddenly he's in a Mishnah, it's a very, anybody who learns Mishnah knows it's an unusual Mishnah. But the answer is that it's a gather in halacha. It's a gather of every, every parent. It's a teacher and every teacher also has, should have the love of a parent. But the question is in halacha, how does, how does one manik, how does one madrich, how did he raise five extraordinary, extraordinary 
tzaddikim, daily Yisrael, that they should all be leaders of the next generation. In a difficult world, in a world with uh, great persecution and poverty and assimilation, the second century, a very difficult, turbulent century, in Yiddish guy, how the Reichlim and Zakai was smuggled out in a coffin. Well, how did he raise five people to all become unbelievable? So the Mishnah is saying, because he would look at each Talmud and he would zero in on their strength and he would say it. He didn't say, as we say in the full world today, he didn't say, the Mishnah doesn't say, Shakaya, <laughs> okay, it's a generic compliment. You did very good, Yashakaya. No, somebody tells you Shakaya Karnish. Who he would say, You you are Kabar Sucha in Ambatip, you have a beautiful memory, so you have to memorize all of Tayr, you have to know all Tayr Shabalpa. So it brought out the Kayach of the student. It was positive. He sang the praise of the Talmud, so the Talmud became who he was capable of becoming. So when we have children, of course, it's easy to look out at what is wrong. It doesn't take courage to do that. It takes courage to find in our children what is beautiful and to be The Lashon HaMishnah means it wasn't one time. means often. He would often be So you have to take care of our children. We have to, it has to be, we have to say Shem and they have to see it. It shouldn't see Avim Isuteris. A hidden Avim. It has to be the passion with beauty and love. And then it has to be the Praise them and nurture what they're capable of becoming. The neshama that what Hashem gave is tremendous, and then we'll see beautiful things. Yeah, very good. I think before we go to closing, there's a question that came in. It looks very interesting. I want to throw it on you. Um, Baruch Hashem, he says he has no struggles in life. Baruch Hashem, he comes. He, I like this program because it brings up a lot of interesting topics. Um, he wants to know if this information you're saying tonight is Negea for regular people without struggles. He's doing the right thing. You know, he's, he's davening, he's learning, doing making parnasa. If any of this is Negea for such a person. So this person that has no struggles, this person is alive? <laughs> this is the question they sent in. So the person who has no struggles, somebody who's alive has to have struggles. A struggle... <laughs> The Gemara says, somebody mentioned before, I think you said the gematria of this program is Menucha, yeah? Yeah. Huh? Menucha. So Chazal say in two Mesechtas, I think it's in, uh, I think it's in Menuchas and also in Makas. The, the Gemara says, Tamidi Chachamim. That means a Yid who's learning Torah. It should be every Yid. Tamidi Chachamim. Eim lahem Menucha. Not in this world. Because the Pasuk, the Gemara brings the Pasuk, a Yid always has to go higher, deeper, greater, more, more Teira, more Chesed, more Mitzvah, more Tzedakah. So to be a Yid, the secular world, paradise is always painted as a place of tranquility, of rest, as a, as a, and the secular masterpieces that discuss, you know, paradise lost. It talks about, describes paradise as menucha. In Yiddishkeit, in menucha. Why? Because menucha is miserable. Meaning to say, if I'm not growing, I, I can't be happy anymore. Shamshin Rathal Hirsch says in Tehillim, he says in one of the Kapitlach and Tilim, he says that the word Simcha, Simcha, Sameach, Simcha, and Smicha are connected. Samecham, which means growth, 
and Sameach, happiness, he says, are connected because the key to happiness is always growing, to always become more. So whenever we achieve anything in life, we have a, we can have a, you have a day of happiness, a goal, a day of happiness, a week, a few months, but that's not going to last. Why? Because if you're alive, Hashem is giving you new strengths, new capacities, deeper, and you can accomplish more. So therefore, a person always needs to grow to be happy. Constant growth. That's why in Yiddishkeit, in, in Hashkafas Hayados, Elam Haba is Elam Hamenucha. In Ganadin and Yiddishkeit, Ganadin is not you slow down, you speed up. Elam Hamenucha, you go more, you can grow. How does the Gemara define Ganadin? You're learning Yeshim, the learning Teira, after you're saying, if you're learning Teira, Teira is the Aruchameir, it's Midr, it's Bligvo. So it's unbelievable, deeper Teira, more and more and more. So Yid always has to grow. So you're saying, what happens if I'm always happy? So in one word to answer that, get bigger ambitions. Think bigger things. You're capable of much more. And you should wake up and say, if I can achieve more and greater things, how, how come I'm only, <laughs> I need to have a bigger Kissinger. Kissinger is a Jewish guy, Henry Kissinger. He's, I think he's 100 years old now. So he's uh, three young men of 33 and a half or whatever he is. Kissinger is almost 100 years old, maybe he's 99. Well, he's, he's, four, he's four of 20... Uh... Huh? He's, divided into, he's divided into four, not three. Yeah, okay, you can divide it into fine. So, yeah, yeah, you can do that also. There's all different ways. But he's still writing and he's still publishing. He's an interesting Jew. Okay, fine. But uh, but he was he's a big he, he's a, a very intelligent person. He's also a perfectionist, especially with grammar and writing and all of this. So he was the um, secretary of state. He was the secretary of state. Um, many, many years ago, so he was a Secretary of State, he one time asked one of the ambassadors of America to write up a very complicated report. Uh, it was pressing with China. So fine, the guy writes the report and he did a very good job. He sent it to Kissinger. And Kissinger wrote back, is this the best you could do? Question mark. So it was very good, but he redid the whole thing and he made sure he had every nakuda, every, I dotted every I and every T, perfect, everything. He sent it back. And an hour later, he gets the same curt response. Is this the best you can do? Why? So now he's sitting, he's working as hard as he could, and it's the best he could do. It's really the man. This guy was intelligent. He was ambassador of America. He sends it to Kissinger, and he gets for the third time the same response. Is this the best you can do? So the guy just lo loses it. He picks up the phone. He calls Kissinger's office. They gave the phone to Kissinger. And he says, Kissinger, I've been working on it for three weeks. I didn't sleep. It's perfect. The structure, the grammar, the ideas. It's the best I can do. Yes, it's the best I can do. So Kissinger says, okay, so this time I guess I'll read it. <laughs> so we all make that mistake. What we think the best we can do, it's good. It's never, yeah, we have a neshama, we have teira, we have mitzvah. We could do, we always could do much more. So then the question, so we have to have that hashkafa. The hashkafa is that we're capable of, uh, of doing much, much more. And then that leads to not menucha, not in a bad way, but in a positive way. I'll say it a bit, a bit different, a bit deeper. So listen to the struggle question, because this is a, it's a, it's a, a very true way of putting it. In life, it's impossible not to struggle. Let me say it again. In life, it's impossible not to struggle. The only question is, at what level will our struggle be? Meaning to say, let's say I decide I'm going to, whatever you, your menucha is, I'm going to be a single bachelor, fresh potato chips and kugel and chalent, 
and, uh, and and whatever. Read Mishpach Ami magazine all day. Whatever, we can speak nicely, yeah? But, so, you know, you picture your paradise. That's it. No, no struggle. Perfect menucha. That's going to create problems. You sit on the couch all day. You're going to have a struggle with loneliness, with, uh, with health issues, with relationships. So pick, picture any scenario. It could be a perfect scenario. You will see that if you're a live human being, it's going to create a struggle. There's going to be tension and struggle. So what is, if we're alive, whatever we choose, there's struggle. The only choice we have is not to struggle or not. At what level should our struggle be? What kind of problems do I want to have? My problems could be I sit on the couch all day and I'm reading a magazine and eating potato chips and I have problems from eating potato chips all day. And that's my struggle in life. All I can say, I'm trying to build a Jewish community. I'm trying to raise money for a whole bigger chalum of people that have brain injuries and it's a crazy expense. And it's the only uh, thing in the Jewish world that does this. And it's very ambitious, but it's a big struggle. Oh, that's a great struggle to have. You created a, so you elevated your struggle. Struggle you're going to have. If you're a mentor, you're going to have a struggle. But have a beautiful struggle. Have a godly struggle. That's what the Jewish name is. What's the Jewish name? Yisrael. What's Yisrael? Or Bnei Yisrael. Am Yisrael. Children. What's Yisrael? Kisarisa lekin manoshem atucha. To be a Jew, the Loshen HaTargum. The Targum says Yisrael means Yisrael, that it is struggle before Hashem. Yisra to struggle is a verb, to struggle. And El before Hashem. To be a Jew is always to struggle with all the forces of this world, but to struggle in man Hashem for tzedakah, for chesed, for terror, for community. But if we're struggling for Hashem, if it's Yisrael, if we're struggling for the Eivishter, then it's Shir El, then it's music. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be good. So Yisrael is Yisrael and Shir. It's a beautiful music. Okay, we're going to do one more live. There's one more live, I think, maybe two, but uh, and then we're going to go to closing, okay? Works for you, Greenberg? You have three hours ahead of us. You can go for nakha, nakha, nakha. As soon as time for coffee. Still, still sun outside of you. Maybe it's a different place. In California, the sun never sets. Okay, it's going to be two lives. Um, okay, you go first. You're on. Hello? Yes. Hello. Hi. Okay. Um, I am learning Kovos Havalavavos. And uh, I found out in there that the best in Shemaim comes down is not so good. I have ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. And I'm trying to be happy that I can do things with different nakshirim, uh, you know, to get my socks and shoes on and cook and all that. But I can't wrap my mind around this business about how it starts good in Shemaim and ends up bad on earth and so i just can't um i don't know how do how do you deal with this yeah so it's such a thing our hearts are with you our feelings are with you and all i can say is you're you're 100% right that uh, when a yid is going through a difficulty, all we, all we can do is, 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 is daven and be there for the person, the closer a person is physically, what somebody can do physically, they have to be there. And, 
at such moments, it's very, very difficult. It's a real, it's, it's a ace sir. It's very, very difficult. Our hearts are with you. And I'm sure our feelings are with you as well. So I, I, I you know, there's, there's really not much I could say with such real pain. Um, and I, I, I can't honestly sit here and start telling you to think a certain way and, and, and then things feel better. When a person is going through such difficulty, so then it's real pain. And we, the only thing we can do, obviously, we have to involve our, our loved ones as much as possible in the community to, to, to get through as best as we can. The only thing I would add that might be helpful, and I, I say this with humility and maybe with a, just a, as an idea that may be helpful, is that it's possible that, of course, when, one, when we're in the need of, of healing and recovery or comfort as much as possible. So that's, of course, top priority. But it's very possible that in your life and the people you know, you shouldn't view yourself as, I'm only a person that has difficulty, but I'm sure, I have no doubt, that in your heart and in your personality, you still have many beautiful things that you're capable of sharing with other people that will help them and uplift them. So the only thing I could humbly encourage you to do is together with everything you're doing and our hearts are with you, is to always remember that you're a person that also has a whole life of accomplishment and loves and achievements and to recognize every day that you also could be a force of bracha, blessing to people around you. And hopefully in doing that, you also find some comfort, a teeny bit that You'll, you'll be able to speak to a child or a grandchild or a friend or somebody else who might be going through something similar and your sensitivity and your experience might be able to lift somebody. So not only to define yourself as somebody that Hashem should bless in a beautiful way, but you still have the capacity also to lift others. And in that lifting of others, you can find a little bit of hopefully a little measure of nechama and, and, and bracha as well. Amen. Amen. Okay. Last live question of the night, and then we will go to closing. Okay, you're up. Okay, if a person is never satisfied with themselves, that could be a downside to that. Yes, we have to keep growing, but there also has to be a point where you say, okay, I'm happy with myself. If you're never satisfied with yourself, the feeling that I'm not good enough, that can cause you know issues, lack of self-esteem, depression, and so forth. So where is the balance? between saying I need to keep growing, which is true. At the same time, there has to be a point where you say, you know, I'm happy with myself. I feel good about myself. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful question. Uh, the, the, one of the daily Yisrael once, once spoke about uh, two psukim. One pasuk says, Anichi offer ve'efer. I am dust and ashes. Avram tells Hashem, I've been not garnished. I'm nothing. I didn't accomplish anything. Unaccomplished. I have a lot more to do and achieve. And then there's the Maimur Chazal, Bishvili Nivraha Elam. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Amishnah, Chai of Adam Leimer, Bishvili Nivraha Elam. And a person has to say, for me, the entire world, the entire cosmos, the whole Pamal Yashamayla, all the spiritual, everything, the whole Torah, everything, Bishvili Nivraha Elam, everything was just for me. So how do you balance the two? On one side you have I'm nothing. 
The other side, there's a call from Chazal, from a Mishnah to say, that's your question. How do you balance? So one of the daily Israel said that you have to write both of these psukim. I'm nothing, I'm ashes, and the whole world was for me. Write each one on a post-it note. Put one in this keshne, one in this pocket, and one in this pocket. He said the challenge of life, the kunz in life, is to know at each moment what paper to pull out. <laughs> if you're in shul and they didn't give you mafter yena, they didn't call you up for shishi, and you're feeling upset because you're you deserve better, and how come they forgot to give me the old guy? So then you have to pull out a nechi offer of if you pull out a shvili divrayelam, it's not good. And if somebody calls you and says, I need your help with this Indian. I need you to help me learn a Gemara. I need you to help me to give more tzedakah. I know you already gave, but could you give more? Don't say, don't pull out a noichi offer Who am I to help? I can't teach you Gemara. I can't give you what's my $100 going to help. Pull out the shvili divrayelam. The whole world was created for me. At this moment, nothing else exists, and only I'm here. I'm here to be the bracha. So, I'm, so that's the challenge. You have to have the seichel. You have to have the seichel. You have to have the seichel to know when, exactly to your point. We have we need both, and if we pick the wrong thing at the wrong moment, terrible. We get the right pasuk, the right maimer chazal at the right moment, so then we're doing very, very well. You're exactly right. It's a challenge. We have to have seichel to know when. If you don't know, have, ask a good friend if you're pulling out the tape, right paper at the right time. They can tell you. Better than ourselves, often. Hey, Rabbi Greenberg. Tonight was Moiradik. Powerful. Shkoyak for joining. Let's go to the closing now. I have a lot to say, and then we'll all wrap it up. And we'll Coach Nach will go first, and then Rabbi Greenberg, you'll leave us with, uh, with the take-home material. We're going to try to put that all together in one, in one closing pitch. Okay. Shkoyak <clears throat> again for coming tonight, especially last minute. Uh, to Rabbi Greenberg from California. Giving tremendous chizik, I think we really, uh, I think we really took advantage of the topic. And, Whenever uh, somebody cancels, feel free to call me. Wow, you're, you're my, you're my, like you know, like you know. Joke, I took that. But I called you. You and the uh, alpha wafer. Me, who's? You know how to use the post-it notes. I like it. Yeah, okay, again tonight's shir should be schus mitzrem for Hanan and Moshe Levi. Uh, Henry, it should be a good question. Neshama again tonight. Share we also sponsored by Bina, the brain injury uh, organization. And Hashem Kochmanachem will send out the information about that. Anybody who listened to the beginning of the share, try to be Mishtat whatever he could and try to really help them. I forgot to mention in the beginning, but uh, Rabbi Shay's tab, who was on uh, two weeks ago, he's starting his parenting class. We spoke about it. We had a whole topic on it. He's one of our favorite guests here. He's been on quite a few times. Um, we love the way he explains big spiritual ideas, practical ways. He's a, he, and he has a parenting course. And it was, it was over a thousand parents that had already taken it, and it really changed their lives and their parenting mahalach. It's a course full of power, spiritual ideas will inspire you and empower you to take the relationship with your children to the next level. It's a six-week course, and you must start from the beginning. And it's starting with Shem this Wednesday. Uh, you go to soulwords.org, soulwords.org. You can register. Menachem also will send out the email with everything, and uh, please join him. Again, like we said, tonight's Kamatria is 109, and I feel after tonight's year, Sachmo Menucha, so definitely... Uh, it was Gavaldik, Ramash, it was Murdik. Again, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066, and I'll send you the flyer every Sunday. You can go to menachemberfel.com and sign up for the flyers. Every Sunday, he'll send you the flyer together with the recaps. Mitchum will send the recaps of this year. 
Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night, 9.30 Eastern time, tremendous shiurim, different topics. Please spread the word. Come, be part of our sikhs chaverim. There's no, right, as of now, there's no sign-up charge, but uh, once we reach 20,000 members, then we're going to start charging. So, chaverim while you could. Next Sunday is Shabbos Thomas, and we made a corporate decision with all the directors and all the people running the show over here that we're going to be probably hungry, so we're going to cancel next week. I know, I'm sorry about that, but the following Sunday, July 24th, we're going to have an amazing show of Simcha Scala, the CEO of Chaya Lifeline, or Shirley Freed, who's the liaison to Lakewood, and the topic will be how to be there for others in time of need, slash how to deal with personal tragedies in life. So very, two very powerful topics, and we're really going to try to really conquer both of those, both very, very powerful. Again, please join us. And again, again, we have Robert Breidowitz on July 31st, the following Sunday. It's going to be the tremendous event from Eretz from Arsameh, brilliant graduate of Harvard Law School, <laughs> became Rosh Hashim Arsameh, so beyond brilliant. And uh, the topic will be the story of Eev, when, you know, why do bad things happen to good people and why do the righteous suffer? So something we could really uh, capitalize from this year, but I think it goes into that. So, Metshem, please join us for all those shirim. Again, everything is recorded. Metshem will be on menachembernfeld.com. If you have any questions for Menachem, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's share is share 109. If anybody wants to listen on the phone line, we can call tomorrow if you want to listen on the phone at 848-777-GROW. Again, besides YouTube, Spotify, Kalalashan, Apple Podcasts, if anybody wants to listen directly on the phone, it's 848-777-GROW. If anybody would like to be in contact with Rabbi Dov Greenberg, he is sharing his email address. Please email him. Make sure when he has time, he can respond to you. It's Dov Greenberg, D-O-V Greenberg at gmail.com. It's not rabbi, Dov Greenberg at gmail.com. Even though he's a rabbi, he left off the rabbi because he pulled out an e off of Aether. So that's when he made the email address. I'd like to thank all of our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop for promoting his in Lakewood, Rabbi Yanit Chazak, Elian Ariel from Five Town Central, Mika Sofer from CLL Live, and Chayla Kalf from Shmuel Summer from JCN, and Rabbi Greenberg, a gracious for everything and for coming on. It was a Murray Dickashir. And I just wanted to mention one thing before we go to Menachem, then you. The one thing I wanted to say is that people go through a matzav. And people, two people can go through a similar thing or go to a similar event and you see how somebody comes out one way and somebody comes out another way. And what you said, one thing I just want to capitalize on it, it's because we have the koyach inside to touch up everybody negative and everything negative. And we can look at the miles of everybody. And the, it's really the koyach that I think that you brought out tonight that's one of the points that really hit me is that that truth is that we have the koyach to look at things in a positive light to the best of our ability not living in la-la land, you know, now the guy is like running over a guy with a car and say, the guy is a tzaddik, you know, you have to live in reality, but the, the internally we have the koyachas to view things positive and to have a positive outlook or not, and that positivity is contagious, and it does make positivity, and that's why people like to hang around with positive people, because it, 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 it infuses you with that positivity. So I think that was a tremendous word you said tonight about, you know, how we process our minds, and, you know, I'm not going to argue with you that we don't have full control of the mind, sometimes the mind is powerful, I think it's more of a muscle. We have to learn how to train that muscle. I don't have full control of my mind. I can't say, oh, today I'm going to be happy and I can just push the button. But I think it's more of a muscle thing that you have to learn how to do it over and over and over and over. And then it becomes more and more. And they say, but all the good they say this all the time, like, was he such always a child? Like, did he have such, did he have such midas? Was he born of it? And most of the time they say it was something that he just really put his koikos into that, that midah of love and caring. And over the years, it manifests into that. You know, I, I remember we had Rabashkin this year, man, the first time he came on. And one of the questions somebody asked him was, the moon of Betachem, we talk about everything, you know what I mean? And all the things that, that you went through. He was born like that. He came out and he was a uh, Gishmak. And he really came out. No, it was something that he really, really worked on. And even when he was in the Matzah, he was in jail, he worked even harder on it. And he, and he really worked on that Midah. And that's how he was able to go through what he went through with such a positivity. It was that flexing that muscle. 
and using everything in the ayin, in the ayin time. So that, that was a murder of art. And uh, Coach Menachem, let's go, wrap it up. Beautiful. Yeah, Rabbi Greenberg. And um, I think we heard a lot tonight. And uh, again, it's work. Uh, you, you, uh, some people are expecting to w- wake up tomorrow and it's going to work by itself. But if we don't stop those 30 seconds, we have the knowledge that we should stop. But if we don't stop, nothing really is going to change. I'm saying step one, we're doing by listening tonight, knowing that we could change, but we have to actually do it. Take action and start doing it. For that, what, what's important is to slow down, like you're saying. Many people wake up saying Moidani and they have all the worries. The, what they have to do on that day. So they're really saying Moidani, but they're not really grateful. So really to slow down and start practicing. And our brain is, you know, with a lot of research these days, we know that it's, it could change. These things could change the neuroplasticity. If we practice every day and we repetition again and again, you will see it will change. And that we have to try it. You have to prove me wrong. Try it out, see how it goes. And, and uh, the rest is, positivity is contagious. And uh, yeah, one, one more thing, don't try to change somebody else. They have to change, they have to be positive. We, me, and that's it, it's only me. I can do it and I will do it. I'm not gonna change anybody else and hopefully it spills over. So thank you very much. And Mr. Uh, everybody should be able to take whatever works do it, see progress, and enjoy the process. Rabbi Dov Greenberg, please recap that whole two hours in, ta- in as much time as you want, and really leave us with a powerful message. Floor's yours. So, Rabbi just said, don't try to change other people. Hopefully it will spill over to other people. My neshama, my soul, my heart is lovesick for Hashem. He's in love with Hashem. Rav asked, why does it say nafshi chilas avasecha? Sick, why does it use the term sick? There are other terms you could use. So when somebody is sick, it could be contagious. Now we also have the dream, it could be super contagious. Now you have events that super big contagious. So that's nafshi chilas avasecha. If you love Hashem, if you love Teirah, it's going to be contagious. Other people are going to start loving Hashem. Other people are going to... You love something that's good, the people around you. So if a person is positive and besimcha, nafshi chela sabasecha, you don't have to try to convince them, but hopefully by the way, if, in other words, if you truly love Hashem, other people around you are going to catch it in a beautiful way. Nafshi chela sabasecha, So that is that. About, about the mind, the mind were in control of not of the emotions, just to clarify. In other words, I'm always in control of what I'm going to think. Not, not that I always use the control. But no one could make me think something. Now, I'm not in control of how I feel. I could be feeling upset, but the mind, I could think. I mean, they, they have a very vivid story of this in the Gemara. The Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva asked him, what, what do you see while he was being killed? He started telling them of machshava he had in his mind while he was being tortured. He said he's thinking about Kol Yomai was waiting to be Mekadosh Hashem. And now, so while fight the, 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 the haters, the anti-Semites were able to kill Rabbi Akiva, but they couldn't get into his mind. His last, his, his last, he starts to talk about 
His mind was Rabbi Akiva's mind to the last second. No one could control his mind. So the mind control. Now it was Rabbi, you know, you have to be Rabbi Akiva to be. He said Kol Yame. He was happy. He was. He found a certain connection to Hashem. That's already beyond. That's Rabbi Akiva's level. But the mind we're in control of always. We don't always act, use it. And but it's also you said. So that's just clarity that we're not in control of our moods, but the mind we're controlled. But ultimately the mind changes the mood. He said the mind is plastic. The mind is the most plastic thing in the world. Mind changes tr- dramatically. We can see it. We can see it today with, uh, you literally can see it on scans, how repeated patterns and behaviors change regions of the brain. Fine. So let me conclude with one or two, two, uh, two thoughts. Let me conclude with a, something to wrap everything together. Wrap brings it together nicely. Is an episode in the Torah that again, we're familiar with, but when you slow down and look at the text, it's very powerful because it gets to the heart of what we've been discussing. Moshe charges the Miraglim, the Siyei Ha'eda, top Jewish personalities, to go check out Eretz Yisrael to see if it's good, how to conquer it, etc. So 10, 10 of the Miraglim come back, and they come back with all negative, a negative mindset and a negative report. Chazal said, actually, said they spoke, they spoke Lashon Hara about the land. They said bad things about it. Eretz the land will consume us. It will destroy us. It will destroy us spiritually. Shomra, you know, we saw massive giants that are much stronger than us. We were grasshoppers compared to their might and their power, their strength, their military, we were grasshoppers. We were garnished. We're nothing compared to their power. Now, that was a bad report. Of course, the bad gossip, the bad word spread. So be a million, two million, and suddenly everybody started to cry. They, no, we can't go into Israel. Kolovin Yeshua came back and they said, no, if Hashem wants us to go to Israel, Chafiz Banu Hashem, if this is what Hashem wants, if this is the Ratzin Hashem, then certainly we, we could take Eretz Yisrael. What's the question? Not only it's not Eretz Echelis Yisrael, we're going to consume what's in the land and we'll use it to power our engines for Kedusha, for Tara, for Teira. The physical is not going to get in our way. It's going to power us to achieve new greatness. We could do it. We certainly can go up the irrational. We can conquer because Hashem is with us, there's no question. So we all know that story. What is Hashem's response? And this is what's very easy to miss. It's the heart of what we've been discussing. I want to illustrate here that this, these ideas come from Torah. What Hashem said is, not that you're going to be punished. What Hashem said, and this is the exact word in the Torah, Hashem's response is, kasher dibartem kein esa. As you spoke, the words you said, that is what will happen. As you spoke, so will be. So to the Miraglim, to those that said, we can't go to Eretz Yisrael, I am not capable, I am not talented, I am not blessed, I am not, I, I don't have that. So those were the words you said to yourself and to others. You're right. You're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael. Yeshua and Kolov that had Ruach HaCheres, that they had the spirit of Hashem, that they had a different mindset, a different perspective. They looked at the same topography, it was the same land. 
It was the same place. They went, they lost to Arts. It was the same place, same place, same day, same location, same background experience. They came from slavery, all of them. But Kavi Yeshua, what was their difference? Not, they didn't go to a different part of Eretz Yisrael. They had a different perspective. Their perspective was, we could do it. I am capable. A Yid is capable of going to Eretz Yisrael because Hashem is with us. If those are the words you said, that is the faith you articulated, then you're going to be able to go to Eretz Yisrael. Here you see so beautifully, so powerfully, the words of the Torah in Kibush Haaretz, in conquering the land, which is a beautiful symbol for everybody's life. Everybody has Eretz Yisrael. Everybody has, in English, a promised land. Everybody has a destination to which we are yearning to arrive at. For ourselves, for our family, for who we want to be. What is our Eretz Yisrael? We want to and we have to cross rivers and we have to conquer giants. They're giant obstacles. It's not easy. There are challenges, 100%. But the question is, what, how are we going to view those challenges? And what are we going to say about them? That if we wake up in the morning with I am grateful. And we connect to Hashem in a positive way. And if we recognize that the story of the house that we're in, the, the log cabin we're in, what determines its success and failure is not the woodpeckers. It is not the noise from the outside, but rather the residence with inside. What is the hashkaf with the perspective of the person in the cabin? That if my if I'm in the cabin and I say it's beautiful, then the shalom bayis is beautiful, then the parnasa is good, things change. But if I start to blame my spouse, this was your stupid idea to come to a rustic fashot in a cabin, <laughs> uh, then, the, then the real truth is, it's a bit of a matzav. Why? Because you're saying it's bad, so it's becoming bad. So, so much of life, not all of life, to be sure, but so much of what we experience on a daily life is that brilliant, deep call. We wake up in the morning, and go, oh, after, you know, why do I have to wait? Our kids, somebody said that we have a, a child that's rebellious. I have to wake up in the morning, right away, this narcissistic God, needs to be thanked right away in the morning. I have to thank him a hundred times a day. I have to be masbir. Yiddishkeit is brilliant. It wants us to be happy. It wants us to be, wake up with joy, with optimism. It understands how we're wired, that we're wired for survival. And it wants us to download a new thought, our first rudder of the day, our first machshavah should be something positive. We're going to be positive people. And we're going to view things and we're going to speak Kasher Di Bartam, like the Chafetz Chaim reminds us, not only Shemir Salash and others, but how we speak about ourselves. We have to speak about ourselves positively. If not, we get hurt. We have to speak positively about ourselves. Words of encouragement. To see somebody could be, am I Niche Yisrael? Am I a wounded of Israel? Am I Yid? That, uh, is that how I define myself? By my sin, by my mistake, by my wound? Or I define myself, Mitzuyone Yisrael, by my gifts, my accomplishments, what I want to achieve in the future? Makes all the difference in the world. Samachti ba'imrimli. People could tell me many things. Samachti ba'imrimli or tsa'akti ba'imrimli is up to me. David could have said tsa'akti. David was capable of being upset. When David was upset, he says he was upset. But over here, David said samachti ba'imrimli. Yalkut Shemini tells us why. Because he changed his mind, his perspective. Because he was the captain of his sails. The winds don't determine the direction of our life. They don't. The sails do. Samachti is real. We are in charge of our thoughts. Our thoughts changes how we feel. Now, I don't know if the first second somebody insulted David, 
does it say that he wasn't upset for a second? Could be he was upset for a second because he's a human being. He had an emotion. Somebody told him a bad word. Maybe he was insulted for five minutes. But sooner or later, whenever he had the courage, we don't know how long it took, he thought about it because he's in control of his mind. The people, the shimmies in the world who are cursing out David, the language of the Gemara, the Gemara says, shimmy curse, terrible curses. People can curse me out. They're surrounded me out, but they can't get into my head. My head, that's me. And I have the capacity to say, so I, I could create joy from a negative thing. How? Because I reinterpret it in a new way. It becomes my story. It becomes your story. It changes who we are. So those are incredibly powerful things. And physically, we know from study after study, starting from Bannister, that within that year, hundreds of people started to break things that people for 2,000 years didn't break. From the Olympics of old to Bannister, people didn't break. Within a year, 300 people. What changed? Hashkafa, perspective, not bone structure. That's how powerful it is. I, I mentioned the study of the scars and the study of Asian versus women. The one word, proper words, change how we feel. Words we use, 20% different on, on scores and math tests. That's a real biological difference. That's a real intellectual difference. Our brain is operating at a different level when I think one word differently, when I say one word differently. <laughs> to my children, to my to my community. When I when when somebody accomplishes something good, do I send them a positive email? Do I call them and say beautiful? And I'm thinking your kindness, your generosity, like together in halacha, together in halacha. How I treat my talmud is halacha is concerned with the compliment. Is it no compliment? Is it a, a generic yashakayach? Or, or is it that you are you're a chet, You should develop your shemayim because you have a beautiful connection to Hashem. Etc. Or maybe it's a compliment to his mother. Maybe his parents that you did. Your mother, the Gemara says, his mother brought his cradle into the base medrash where they were learning. Such a sensitivity. He was going back. Where I came from, sometimes people would go and curse your grandfather out. You know, old gossip in Jewish culture. Vintage gossip. It's like old age wine. Oh, it's a good a good gedicht is the opposite. He's going back. Your mother was had a beautiful sensitivity to you, and that's why you are Yeshua ben Hanania, who you could be. So to view our children that way, to remember that that they have to Hashem you have to express it. Make sure they don't only see our emotions in a negative way, but in davening and in learning and in chesed, it has to be in a way of nafshi but if we love Hashem in a terror or a Jewish institution, because we support it, if it's true love, it's then it's going to be contagious. And then it will be kasher di bartim keinesa. And so, so because this came up a few times, there's some resistance. I want to give one more analogy and one more story from the Torah, and then a, a closing story, if that's okay. Because I see that it's, a, it's an issue that people keep on raising. So I, I'm a shliach here uh, on Stanford University. It's a college campus in Northern California, like in Silicon Valley. So literally two miles from this Chabad house, from where I'm sitting now, there was a fellow that you all are familiar with. His name was Steve Jobs. And he lived two miles from here. One of you know, the Apple. The fine. So he says a story in his book. And when he was at Stanford, he shared it at a commencement. He shared this story at a commencement that he gave a few years ago before he died. I'm going to share the story because it has a beautiful parallel in the Torah, and it gets to a difficulty that came up in several questions again and again. The story was like this. 
he said that when he was a child, his biological parents were not nice people. They were very bad people, he says. And then he just got rid of them. They didn't want to have him. Fine. His adoptive parents were very kind people, very sensitive people. For whatever reason, he didn't say the reason, but his adoptive parents never told him his true story, his history, his origin. So he never knew that his adoptive parents weren't his biological parents. He was blissfully unaware. This is one day he gets into a fight with the, when he was a kid, 10 years old, 11, he gets into a fight with a neighbor. She knew that he was adopted. She also knew that he didn't know. So she wanted to give him an insult that would really hurt him, that would really devastate him. So she says, I want to tell you something that you don't know. He says, what? You were thrown out as a child. Your parents got rid of you. Your biological parents dumped you. You were not wanted. You were thrown out. He says the second he said that, he realized it was true. He had many questions that he didn't really focus on. How can you have pictures of his childhood, etc., etc.? He said, everything clicked. He suddenly realized that everything was so broken, so destroyed. It's one of the most painful moments in his life. He still remembers. He broke down sobbing uncontrollably, and he sat at the curb outside his house. He couldn't even go in, faced his parent, his uh, adoptive parent, and he was sitting and weeping. He said his mother was a smart, sensitive woman. She understood right away what happened. Either she saw from the window, she hopped. She understood exactly what happened. She, she called me in, and she said she told me something that I carry with me every day of my life. He said, you were not thrown away. That's not your story. Just know what it is. You were chosen. We chose you. That, that's your story. We chose you. Out of everybody in the world, we wanted you. He said, for the rest of my life, my narrative, I woke up in the morning and my story was, I was chosen. I'm chosen, special. I need to create things. I need to accomplish great things. I'm chosen. He was living the life. and So again, why do I tell you this story? Because, and this is so important. What was true? What was true? Was he thrown out or was he chosen? And the answer is, whatever you choose becomes true. If he would have chosen us the story that I was thrown out, that would have become very true. And his whole life would be a continuation of, I'm a victim and it's terrible and I'm defined by circumstances and Cain Essa, so would have been. It would have been Kasher Dibarta. But it, because he chose to believe and internalize the story of I am chosen and I'm going to live to create beautiful things because there's something special about me. So then he was somebody who revolutionized technology and communication and music, etc., etc. So that the narrative is the mind changes reality. It's really powerful. And how beautiful it is that we have a story in the Torah about Moshe Rabbeinu that's strikingly similar. Very same in, his, in Moshe's biography in the Torah. Moshe grew up with adoptive parents. And when Moshe grew up, he grew up in an Egyptian household. He was dressed like an Egyptian. He had Egyptian mannerisms and he spoke their language. He was a prince of Egypt. So much so that when Yisrael's daughter saw him, for the first time, they went back to their father and they said, we met Ish Mitzri, we met an Egyptian person. They didn't say Ish Ivri. He walked like an Egyptian, he spoke like an Egyptian, he dressed like an Egyptian. 
That was his manners. His biological parents were Jewish. Unbelievable. Amram, Yecheven, top, top. But he was like many Jews in our culture today. They have Jewish parents, but you're brought up in a secular environment, secular education, Pari's house. Pari's house is not, uh, is not, is not mere, you know? It's not different, different culture, different set of values. It's different. It's not Belazian. It's not 770. It's different. So that was Mesha. So Mesha must have had the question of who am I? What's my story? <laughs> am I a prince or am I a slave? Is my future power and wealth or is my future connected with these slaves? And the Torah beautifully tells us what happened that one day, by ye, here are the exact words in the Torah, by Yigdal Ha'ish, by Mesha grew up. He opened up the door, by Yigdal he grew up, he opened the door to look at his brothers and he saw they were suffering. Identified with them, not with Pariel Echad. His brothers, his Mishpacha was Mavachutz. And his brothers were suffering. They weren't wealthy and they weren't powerful. They were the lowest. They were slaves. And he said, My story is going to be not. I'm a prince of Egypt with endless wealth and power and Madanim and Sivim Kafar, all beautiful affluence and power. No, I'm going to be a slave and I'm going to dedicate my life to seeing how I can embedder the lives of the Yidin that need me. So that mo- at that moment, when Misha opened the door, on that threshold, Misha had a choice to make. What is his story going to be? And Misha chose that my story is going to be that I'm going to care about them. And he went outside. The next Pasuk, he saw Ish Mitzvi, an Egyptian SS officer, an Egyptian Nazi, Maket, harming, destroying another Yid. And Misha stepped in, and right away, Amasir Snafesh risked his life and everything to save another Yid. And that became his story. Mesha's story became that I'm a person who cares about Yidin. By the way, how beautiful it is. That's how Terah defines what it is to be mature. Godless, what does it mean to be Godless be Yisrael? By Yigdal Mesha, when? By When you leave your own comfort zone, when you leave your own ego, you open up the door and you see, by Yitzay, you go out of yourself, your own comfort zone, your own. How do I help somebody else? So that's Godless already. That's by Yigdal That's Mesha became great. That became his biography. Mesha's biography came, I am here to help Yidin. Then he became an ambassador of Hashem. Not me anoichi, but anoichi shlachticha. He understood that I'm a shliach of Hashem. Shliach of Hashem, then I could change world history. And he did. So each one of us, like Mesha also, we, we can look at our, our story. We can look at our story. We can find where we were hurt, where we were neglected, where we didn't have the best teacher. And we could define ourselves by that story, and that will be our narrative. Or we could define our story as something beautiful, something great, something connected with Torah and Hashem and Chesed and Mitzvah and say, I'm not going to be happy in the palace. Why? Because to be a Jew is to get out of this palace and to say, I have to take responsibility for Kal Yisrael in my neighborhood, in my block, or in many blocks. To conclude with... Uh, this story that I, I saw the interview, there was a Jewish woman who years ago ran the New York Marathon. Her name was Zoe Kuppelwitz. That was her name. She was a Jewish woman and she had many physical ailments for many years. She was in her 40s when she ran it. For already 20 years, she was unable, Rahman al-Islam, she, she was not able to walk properly and she had many physical challenges. But she ran the marathon and it took her 20, uh, 31 hours and 15 minutes. She came in the New York Marathon, the last. And she came schlepping. And all the cameras were there. 
31 hours. And they said, Zoe, why did you, from the New York Times, they did interview, they said, why did you run the marathon? Why did you do this? You have all these physical challenges to run even a mile. Oh, 31 hours, 15 minutes. Why, why did you do it? So she said, Zoe said like this. She said, when a person is born, I'm going to give you an, a, a, how, how I view it. She said, when a person is born, God gives, she said, God gives everybody a, a television with many channels. These are her, her words. And many of the channels has, have, are, have a beautiful color, colorful pictures and content. So a person has many blessings and it's very beautiful because everybody has many channels that work beautifully and with a clear picture. She said, but then everybody has a channel or two. It doesn't matter who you are, where they're static, that it's not working, that you're challenged. And she said, I was, for many, many years of my life, I have a, my static chat, my, my channel that's covered with static is physically, I can't walk well, I can't move well, I certainly can't run. But many, many years ago, I looked at my situation. I decided I could sit on the couch my whole life, look at the static, experience the static, and live in the static that will define my life. And a moment came when I decided that I'm not going to define myself by the static in my life. I'm going to have the courage to get up off my couch and to switch the channel as much as I can. See, that's why I ran the marathon, because I switched the channel. So we all switch the channel. We should be happy. We should achieve great things. We should be able to get into the Eretz Yisrael that we want. Amen. Amen. Wow. Are we Greenberg? Murder. Okay, everybody, thank you for joining. Have an easy fast next Sunday. We'll see you July 24th, wherever. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes and it will be greatly appreciated thank you in advance